Happy New Year to everybody. I wish everyone here a Happy New Year. Don't have a sad New Year and don't cry during the New Year. Then it will be an auspicious New Year. Throughout the year, all things will go as you wish, and you'll accomplish whatever you set out to do. However, once you lose your temper and bring forth thoughts of hatred, of jealousy, and of obstructiveness, then whatever is auspicious. Will become inauspicious. Therefore, this year you should tone down your temper, and once you do that, there will be no malice in the world. The power of the atomic bomb, as well as the hydrogen bomb, will be reduced, and even the laser cannon will be rendered useless. If everyone could keep his temper, the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, and the laser cannon would lose their effectiveness. But because we have big tempers, anything can set them off. When people's tempers amass together, they become the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, and the laser cannon. This is all because of people's bad tempers. Since you have a bad temper, there is something even more powerful than your temper, and that harms the whole world. If you can keep your temper and be happy. And not use menacing looks to oppress other people, or play games to harm them. Then you won't trigger the atomic bombs, the hydrogen bombs, and the laser cannon. If you want to prevent these atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs, and laser cannons from going off, then don't lose your temper. You need to work on this. Give up doing bad deeds and start practicing good deeds. Losing your temper is a bad deed. And not losing your temper is a good deed. So if you can change from being bad to become good and make a new start, this is what Kangao called being a new person. Be a new person. Take new action. Improve and modify everything. If you can't improve and change your behavior, then even if you change the laws, it won't work. If you change the laws, you're just looking for something in the outside world. You have to start the improvement in your own mind and sweep away all bad habits. As Great Master Sensho said, "The body is a Bodhi tree, and the mind a bright mirror stand. Constantly brush it clean, and never let the dust alight." What should you constantly brush clean? We want to brush clean our bad habits, such as our hot temper, our jealousy, and our obstructiveness. Brush away these defilements. Clean them out. Then the light of your inherent wisdom will naturally come forth. When your wisdom light comes forth, then you'll know and understand everything. Why don't you know now? It's because your wisdom light hasn't come forth yet. Only after you clean yourself up can your wisdom light manifest. You have to improve yourself and become a new person. And to improve yourself, you don't work on things outside. You have to improve those defiled things inside: your temper, your jealousy, your obstructiveness, and your arrogance. For instance, if you oppress others or you scheme to harm someone, all these are indecent things. If cultivators, especially those who have left the home life, harbor thoughts of contention and easily get into arguments about right and wrong, or they speak without rhyme or reason, and they oppress others. These are all untidy things which defile the world inside you. If you're full of these things, you won't have any true wisdom.
This is very important. To celebrate the new year, we have to make a great resolve to definitely change and become good. How do we wipe the slate clean? Do no evil, then practice all good. Purify your own mind. That is the teaching of all Buddhas. Purifying your mind means wiping clean the bad habits inside you. If you don't clean them up, then you'll just contend, be greedy, seek, be selfish, pursue personal profits, and tell lies. If you tell lies, you lie in every action and deed in your daily life. For example, if you make a mistake, you don't admit it and you put the blame on someone else. By putting the blame on others, you're telling a lie. And if you're dishonest and you try to benefit yourself, then you're being filthy. If you didn't behave in such a filthy way, then you wouldn't contend, be greedy, seek outside, be selfish, seek personal benefit, or tell lies. And especially if you're a left-home person and you lie, you'll surely fall into the relentless hells, and no one will be able to save you. That's because you cheat yourself and you cheat others, and you bully and cheat all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. You deceive them with your eyes wide open. These are very bad ways to behave. Maybe you don't know how serious this is, but when you fall into the hells, it'll be too late to regret it. A left-home person who has already taken the precepts should never tell lies, blame his own faults on others, and not confess his mistakes. We all have to cultivate honestly and truly. Don't have any greed when you're cultivating. So then, once you've cleaned up your act, your wisdom, your five eyes, and your six penetrations will come forth. But if you don't do this, and you try to get the five eyes and the six penetrations, you won't attain even a single penetration, you won't get any wisdom, and you'll understand nothing at all. You'll just be ignorant, you'll be blind and confused, and nothing you do will make any sense. I spoke the six great principles for those who want to become Buddhas, those who want to become Bodhisattvas, those who want to become sound hearers, or arhats, or gods, or ghosts. So when ordinary people hear these principles, they shouldn't look down on them. They shouldn't say, oh, we do business, and it's not possible for us to not contend, not be greedy, not seek. It's not possible for us to not be selfish, not want personal profit, and not tell lies. All you do is crave money all day long, and you buy lottery tickets, hoping to win the first prize, you are simply too far from the way. Because you've put aside the really valuable principles and you just want to learn the contaminated and worthless things, money is the dirtiest thing in the world. Money makes people upside down and afflicted, and so they quarrel all the time. Take a look at rich people. Rich people don't know how to spend their money. What do they spend it on? on eating, on drinking, on gambling, on going to whorehouses, on buying stocks. Basically, they live a very dissipated life. They think these things bring happiness, but actually, they're just planting deep causes for falling into the hells and cutting off their path to the heavens. This is very dangerous. If you have money, but you don't know how to use it well, then you're in a very troublesome situation. When you spend money to create offenses, do you think you're getting a bargain? Do you think it's a good thing? You're actually taking a big loss. It exhausts your wisdom light, 
your dharma body, and your wisdom life. Because you're greedy for pleasure, you're actually ruining your own future. Originally, you should have become a Buddha, or a Bodhisattva, or a sound hearer, or one enlightened by conditions, but you didn't, and now you can't even make it to the heavens. Ordinary people cultivate the ten good deeds, which are not killing, not stealing, not engaging in sexual misconduct, not being greedy, not having any hatred, not being stupid, not engaging in frivolous speech or false speech, not speaking harshly, and not engaging in double-tongued speech. If you don't violate the ten good deeds, then you can be born in the heavens. But if all you do is violate them, then you will definitely fall into the hells. This is the second day of the new year, and I've talked about these truthful principles over and over. You must remember them. Don't ignore them. These are the most important principles. If you can practice them yourselves and uphold them all your life long, then you'll always enjoy the benefit. What I said is very simple and very obvious, because I don't want to say something that no one can understand. That's why I always speak in very simple language. Now I'm going to read some words by a Taoist cultivator named Chiu Chuji. He said, "With no greed for fame and profit, and no greed for flowers. Flowers means women. He didn't want fame and profit, and he didn't want women." And then he says, "I lie upon rosy clouds day in and day out. Every day he cultivated the principles of purity and stillness." Then the verse continues. When I'm hungry, a monkey offers me peaches, and so if he was hungry, a monkey would send him peaches to eat. When I'm thirsty, a dragon girl sends me lemon tea. So when he was thirsty, the dragon maiden would send him a glass of lemon tea. This life is superior to that of the three thousand families in Hanko. At that time, between the Song and the Ming dynasties. He said that his life was better than that of the three thousand families in Hanko. It's better than that of the million families in the capital. He says, "I'm better off than those families. Their lives are filled with quarreling and afflictions. They're busy from morning to night, all for the sake of profit. I don't want any of that. I have no desire for fame and profit. I don't want to be a government official. I don't want power or position." So his verse was. With no greed for fame and profit, and no greed for flowers, I lie upon rosy clouds day in and day out. When I'm hungry, a monkey offers me peaches. When I'm thirsty, a dragon girl sends me lemon tea. This life is superior to that of the three thousand families in Hanko. It's better than that of the million families in the capital. You see, what he said was penetrating and clear. In cultivation. We shouldn't pursue fame and profit. We shouldn't discriminate between self and others, rights and wrongs, and we shouldn't seek after power. That would be totally wrong. One more thing I want to say, and it's something that you might not want to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is that boys before the age of 16 and girls before the age of 14, if they're taught to cultivate. Then they can all obtain the five eyes and the six spiritual powers, and they can all see their original face. They can also open the Buddha's wisdom, demonstrate the Buddha's wisdom, awaken to the Buddha's wisdom, and enter the Buddha's wisdom. 
But it's a pity that in the world, people are all confused by money, and no one knows how to foster the children so that they can become sages. In China, since over ten years ago, there have been many kids who have special powers. Actually, these special powers are just the five eyes and the six penetrations talked about in Buddhism. What are the six spiritual penetrations? They are the heavenly eye, the heavenly ear, the knowledge of other people's thoughts, the knowledge of past lives, the ending of outflows. Well, they haven't obtained the ending of outflows. And the last one is the spiritual state. They have obtained five of the six spiritual penetrations, and if they continue to cultivate from there, then they can also get the penetration of ending their outflows. And then, when they end their outflows, they have cut off their ignorance, so their dharma body is revealed. They will be future Buddhas and sages in the present. Actually, everyone can accomplish this. Because it's said that all living beings have the Buddha nature and can become Buddhas, but it's a pity because no one understands. So all have the Buddha nature, but no one becomes a Buddha. That's the difference. So no one cultivates. No one spends any effort on cultivation. Everyone just wants to make money all day long and get rich. So they make money until they die, and then what happens? This is a lot of suffering, and it's very upside down. But everyone takes this path. Isn't that strange, Amitabha? Now I want to talk about the celebration for respecting the elderly. Every one of our branch way places can pick a different day to celebrate this, and invite all the local elderly to attend it. And the young people can come to help the elders celebrate their birthday. We should all take. Other people's parents and elders, as our own parents and elders, and we should treat other people's children as our own children. We should all follow this principle, which is from the chapter on great unity from the Book of Propriety. And each of these local way places can hold their own celebration of the elderly, so the elderly don't need to travel very far, because it's not easy for elders to move around and to travel. If they go alone, then their children will worry about them. But their children can't go with them because their children have their work, have their job to do, so they have no time to go. So that's why we've decided on this kind of expedient plan to have a lot of different local celebrations, not have one big celebration. Each branch way place can hold its own celebration. This is in the autumn. Then in the spring. We can all have the celebration for cherishing the youth, and we can invite all the local school children to come so that they can understand something about the Buddha Dharma and also about the principle of respecting our elders and cherishing the youth. We should all do our best to promote this custom to change the trends in this country, not only in this country but in all the countries of the world.、Uh, we want all countries to、uh, learn this custom. In this way, elders will have a place to rest. The people in their prime will put their efforts to good use in work, and the young people will be raised properly and taken care of. Then the world will reach an ideal state of great unity. This is our goal. So we should all do everything we can to advocate this trend. Every young person should respect his parents. 
our parents have given birth to us and raised us, so we shouldn't just toss them in the trash can and not care about them. Okay, that's all I am going to say. When we read books, we shouldn't choose books which are deviant and improper. We shouldn't read the books of other sects and teachings which are off the proper path. Having left the home life, you must have genuine proper knowledge and proper views. If you don't have proper knowledge and proper views, it's for sure that you'll enter a demonic path and be caught in the states of the fifty skanda demons. Therefore, cultivators of the way should do things as a group. You cannot act independently on your own and just do as you please. You should know that as left home people, you have just entered the door of Buddhism and you're just a beginner, so you can't be obstinate and refuse to follow directions. You should pay attention to this. If you don't listen to instructions, your future retribution will be inconceivable. If left home people don't listen to instructions, they'll definitely fall into the hells. There's not a doubt about it. If you've left home and you don't have proper knowledge and views, and you don't walk a proper path, that's too dangerous. This is called deliberately creating offenses, knowing full well that they're wrong. We talk about not contending, not being greedy, not seeking, not being selfish, not seeking self-benefit and not lying. This is important. None of us can be selfish. We shouldn't try to get benefits in everything. If you can really practice the six rules of not contending, not being greedy, not seeking, not being selfish, not wanting self-benefit and not lying, then you'll get inexhaustible benefits. Everything will turn out well for you. But if you contend, are greedy, seek, are selfish, want self-benefit and lie, then nothing will turn out well. In learning the Buddha Dharma, the most important thing is to have the Dharma selecting eye. Without the Dharma selecting eye, you'll believe this and you'll believe that, but in the end you won't accomplish anything. Everyone should work especially hard and study the Buddha Dharma. If you don't study Buddha Dharma, and you're just a Buddhist in name only, without getting the real benefit of Buddhism, that's useless. So we should all pay attention and cultivate diligently. We should be sincere. Don't just talk about it without practicing. We should be mindful of morality. At all times, we should cultivate the way and develop our virtue. We must perfect our virtue and our cultivation of the way then we'll be worthy of being a Buddhist left-home person or lay person. So we must diligently walk on the path of purity and not on the defiled path. Since eons without beginning, we've been accustomed to walking on the defiled path. And so now when we have false thoughts in our every move, we always remember those defiled things. And we've forgotten all the principles of purity so we must return to the source and go back to the origin and clean up our body, mind and nature. Don't pass your life in such a muddle as you did before. Great Vehicle Followers Study the Great Vehicle Buddha Dharma
You can't mix the great vehicle and the small vehicle. Originally, there was no great vehicle and no small vehicle. There was nothing at all. People made discriminations of great and small, different kinds and different categories. However, no matter what we do, we should concentrate on it. With concentration, there is efficaciousness. With scatteredness, there is nothing. In order to concentrate, we must cut off desire and love. If you don't cut off desire and love, and you leave the home life, then even if you cultivate for eighty thousand great eons, you won't achieve anything. This is important. No matter what dharma you choose to cultivate, can you cut off all your desires and love? This is the path which every cultivator must take. As for lay people, the nature of their cultivation is different. But left home people must definitely cut off desire and love. You mustn't be so caught up in emotional love all day long, and not be able to see it as empty. If you do that, then you'll definitely have no accomplishment. If you try to subdue people by force, they will not submit in their hearts. But if you subdue them with virtue, then they will joyfully and sincerely submit. No matter where or when it is, we mustn't use force to contend with others. We have to use virtue, morality, and humaneness in dealing with people. If we contend, then we are using force to subdue others. But people will never willingly submit. If you use virtuous conduct to make people listen, then everyone will listen. What I'm saying is very shallow. Everyone can understand it. Of course, some people might not want to hear it. But this is what I'm willing to talk about: these true principles. If those people don't listen, then I can't force them to listen. If you think what I've said is the way, then advance upon it. If you don't think it's the way, then retreat from it. Take what is good and use it. Take what is bad and change it. Study these with your conscience and see if these principles make sense. All of you have gathered here together. This can be called all superior good people gathering together in one place. Since you are good people, you should not give rise to evil thoughts. You should diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. Greed, anger, and stupidity are the three poisons. While precepts, samadhi, and wisdom are the three non-outflow studies, left-home people are called shramanera in Sanskrit. Shramanera means diligent and to extinguish. That is to diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and to extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. Shramaneras have to diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom. And extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. And how much the more must bhikshus do this, and bhikshunis as well? You might say, that's the business of left-home people. We lay people don't need to cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, or extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. 
That's not the case. Left-home people have to diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. And lay people should work even harder at this. You should work twice as hard in the cultivation of precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and in extinguishing your greed, anger, and stupidity. You shouldn't say that it's only the left-home people's business, and that there's no need for you lay people to learn it. That would be incorrect. Lay people can learn the methods of cultivation from left-home people. However, you shouldn't have the thought that since you are cultivating the way of left-home people, that makes you a left-home person too. That's wrong. Lay people still have to respect the triple jewel, bow to the triple jewel, make offerings to the triple jewel, and draw near the triple jewel. For left-home people, our work is to propagate the Dharma. Propagating the Buddha Dharma is our basic duty and responsibility. However, you cannot propagate Buddha Dharma if you spend the whole day doing nothing. You should be mindful of this duty in thought after thought. Every movement of yours is speaking the Dharma for living beings. Therefore, left-home people are models for lay people, and if you are not a good model, then you will cause lay people to lose faith. You will not be able to have any influence on them. So, a left-home person should act like a left-home person. Just now, we said that diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, wisdom, and extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. What does it mean to be diligent? It means to advance vigorously without becoming lax. To be diligent means to be studious, attentive, and earnest. And what do we earnestly cultivate? The precepts. The precepts basically mean to do no evil and to practice all good. If we give rise to even a single thought of selfishness, contending, killing, lust, lying, or taking intoxicants, then we are not according with the precepts. To diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom means to cultivate the precepts. The function of the precepts is to stop evil and to prevent faults. To stop us from doing all evil deeds, and to prevent us from making mistakes, by practicing non-doing, non-doing itself is the precepts. So after you have cultivated the precepts, you should cultivate samadhi. Samadhi means to not be moved by external states. We should be thus, thus unmoving, always bright and clear. The wisdom of the great perfect mirror. Always illumines and brightens the myriad things, like the sunlight. It causes all things to be in their right place, to be born and to grow. The great perfect mirror wisdom illumines all of this, and this is samadhi. And what about wisdom? Wisdom means that there is nothing one does not understand. This is the original substance of our minds, the great function of the entire substance. Everything is manifest. All the myriad things, whether they are big or small, coarse or fine, existent or non-existent, have come to light, and you understand the basic substance of all things. So, diligently cultivate precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. What is the thing which obstructs the way? It is greed. If you don't stop thoughts of greed, 
Then you cannot clear out those messy, dirty things which are in your mind. Then there is anger. When your greed cannot be satisfied, then you become angry. And once you are angry, you lose your temper at everything, and you see that nothing is right. You even want to get into a quarrel with the Buddha when you see him. What you think is, oh, this temper of mine is the best. I want to conquer all people. That's the Asura nature manifesting. Then there is stupidity. When the Asura nature appears, then you become stupid. You don't recognize true principle. You don't know the virtues of kindness and justice, and you forget everything. You become confused and you do foolish things. Because you have no wisdom, you become stupid. So greed, anger, and stupidity are the three poisons. These three poisons are worse than opium and poisoned wine, and even worse than the most poisonous arsenic. These poisonous things are harmful to the physical body. However, they are also detrimental to our dharma body and wisdom life. They are the greatest obstructions to the way. We get angry about very trivial things, and that is when this kind of poison manifests. This poison is more deadly than the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, and the laser cannon. Who is the mother of the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, and the laser cannon? Simply the three poisons of greed, anger, and stupidity. Therefore, we want to extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. Then the atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb will not explode, and the laser cannon will be useless. Last week, I talked about not losing your temper. Losing your temper is just setting off the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, and the laser cannon. The temper is an invisible weapon which kills without leaving any trace. It not only kills the body but also destroys the soul. So greed, anger, and stupidity are very devastating. Whether you are a scientist, a computer specialist, or an expert of some sort, you should study this carefully, and you'll find that nothing is more devastating than the three poisons. However, people still fail to realize that. And they wear the three invisible bombs of greed, anger, and stupidity wherever they go. They're not willing to part from them. All of you should carefully think about this. This is where the origin is at. Where does this come from? It comes from ignorance. And what is ignorance? Ignorance means not understanding anything. Since you have no knowledge and wisdom, the bombs of greed, anger, and stupidity are produced. Good and wise advisers, today we are holding a celebration to respect the elderly in Sacramento. This is called attending to the foundation. An ancient sage said, "A superior person attends to the foundation. Once the foundation is established, the way comes forth. And what is the foundation?" The saying continues, "Are not filiality and fraternity the foundation of humaneness?" Filiality and fraternity are fundamental to being a person. Attending to the foundation is also 
repaying our foundation and searching for our roots, finding out where we came from. All people come into being from their parents. Only with parents can there be children, siblings, and the next generation. So the next generation shouldn't forget the kindness shown to them by the previous generation. They should repay their roots, that is, repay the kindness of their parents. This is also called attending to the foundation. Dharma Realm Buddhist Association has set two celebrations. In the spring and summer, we will hold a celebration to cherish the youth, and between the fall and winter, we will hold a celebration to respect the elderly. This is to accord with the maxim, carefully attend to the funeral rites of parents and follow them when gone with the due sacrifices. Then the virtue of the people will resume its proper excellence. We mustn't forget the foundation. If we forget the foundation, then we won't have any roots, and the leaves and branches will wither. Then the descendants won't prosper, and the country will not be strong. With a weak country, the people will be without protection. So we must love our country, love our family, and cherish ourselves. The country, family, and the self are three and yet one, one and yet three. If you are not healthy, then your family will not be well, and the country will not be strong. So we must establish our foundation. By cherishing the youth, we are nurturing our roots to be deep and thick. Young people are like sprouts. When you fertilize them, then they will grow and flourish, and in the future they will bloom and bear fruit, which will be ripe and mature. That's why we're holding these celebrations to respect the elderly and cherish the youth. The dates aren't fixed yet, but I think we can have the celebration to respect the elderly on the first Sunday in November. This is a very appropriate time, which is neither too hot nor too cold. The celebration for cherishing youth can be on the last Sunday in May, when it's also neither hot nor cold. That's when all the forms of life are being born and growing. All the flowers and plants are blooming and thriving. That's a very good time to cherish the youth. But if any of you have a better suggestion, then that's even better. I'm suggesting that the celebration for respecting the elderly be on the first Sunday in November, and the celebration for cherishing youth be on the last Sunday in May. Then it will be easy for people to remember these dates. The city of ten thousand Buddhas and other branch temples can all hold their own local celebrations on these days and invite the local elderly and young people. That way, the old people won't have to travel too far, because it's very tiring for them to travel, and it would be inconsiderate to ask them to do so. Why should the celebrations for cherishing youth also be held locally? Although it's true that young people like to travel and think that trips are fun, it's not suitable for young people to have to travel too far either. So each temple can hold its own local celebration. These are two new holidays in American Buddhism. I've noticed that there's already a Father's Day and a Mother's Day, but there's no Elders' Day. Following the principle that we should. Treat others' elders as our own, and regard others' children as our own. We are celebrating to respect elders and cherish the youth. 
Then the people who have no children can also receive the respect of young people, and the children who have no parents can also receive the care and the concern of adults. Human feelings demand that we should respect and care for one another. This is a very wholesome custom, and we should promote it in every country. We should alter the trends, and let even those countries who are stubbornly resistant, to know the meaning of respecting elderly and cherishing youth. Then we can turn the world around. That's our goal. This way, the children will no longer kill people, set fires, deal in drugs, or smuggle contraband. They won't engage in such illegal activities. And the elderly won't just lie in bed and smoke opium. When they see young people treating them with respect, they will start to respect themselves. And when young people see adults showing concern for them, they will also start taking care of themselves. If we respect the elderly, then other people will respect us when we are old. However, we shouldn't be respecting the elderly just because we want others to respect us. We should just practice the way of heaven and cherish the people. Good and wise advisers, I'd like to wish all of you an early happy new year. We're happy in the new year, but are we happy in the old year? We ought to be happy year after year, month after month, day after day, and moment after moment. Why should we be happy? Happiness doesn't mean that we eat some delicious food and feel happy. Nor does it mean that we wear nice clothes and that makes us happy. Nor is it that we buy a fancy car or live in a fine house and those things make us happy. What should we be happy about? We should always be happy and content in our own nature. It is said, if you can be content, then you'll always be happy. If you can be patient, then you'll naturally be at peace. We should be content at all times. As human beings, we have more wisdom than animals. We have an efficacious spiritual awareness, and we surpass animals in all respects. Therefore, we should be satisfied. Then we will be happy, and we won't have any afflictions. We should be happy all the time, not only at New Year's. We shouldn't get afflicted. Only then can we foster the ground of our mind and nurture the sky of our nature. If our mind ground is bright, then our nature's sky will also be bright. This brightness is the Buddha's light. Why haven't we revealed this light? It's because we haven't really fostered the mind ground or nurtured the sky of our nature. So in Buddhism, if we can always be happy, just that is cultivation. In the text "Vegetable Root Discourses," it says, "With the brilliant wind and clear moon, the plants and trees are delighted. When there's a gentle breeze and few clouds covering the moon." All the plants thrive and flourish, feeling very joyful. And then, what about the furious rain and the strong wind? If heaven gets angry, then it sends down a heavy rain, and the falling rain symbolizes heaven's tears, heaven is feeling sad. 
The strong wind refers to a hurricane. When a hurricane blows in, then not to mention the people, even the birds and beasts are unhappy. So it says, with a brilliant wind and the clear moon, the plants and trees are delighted. With a furious rain and the strong wind, the birds and beasts are woeful. Therefore, heaven and earth cannot exist for a day without an atmosphere of harmony. If there are rainstorms and gusty winds, then heaven and earth are not in harmony. So it says, heaven and earth cannot exist for a day without an atmosphere of harmony. This harmony refers to a warm breeze and an auspicious energy. It is also said, a person's heart cannot be for a day without the spirit of happiness. In our hearts, we should be happy and joyous all the time. We should be like Maitreya Bodhisattva, who never becomes afflicted, no matter how people treat him. Maitreya Bodhisattva said, The old fool wears a patched cloak. I am a dumb old man who doesn't know anything, and the clothes I wear are patched up rags. I fill my belly with tasteless food. It's enough if I can get full with some simple meals. So he always pats his big belly to show that he's full. I mend my clothes to keep out the cold. When my clothes are torn up, then I fix them. And the myriad things go by. When things come up, I respond, and when they're gone, I'm still. I handle everything according to conditions. If someone scolds the old fool, the old fool just says, fine. This old fool will just say, good, good. If someone beats the old fool, I fall down and go to sleep. If someone beats me, I just lie there and take the beating as if I were asleep. If someone spits on my face, I let it dry by itself. If you spit saliva on my face, then I just let it dry up. I won't wipe it off. That way, I save my strength and you don't get afflicted. I save the strength of having to wipe it off. And when you see that I don't react or try to spit back at you, you won't be afflicted either. This kind of paramita is the jewel within the wonderful. Ordinary people fail to apply this method to get to the other shore. This is the wonderful within wonders, the treasure of treasures. If you know this news, why worry about not attaining the way? If you know this principle, how could you not achieve the way? You'll surely achieve the way. Confucianism advocates loyalty and forgiveness. Taoism talks about influence and response. They speak of purity and non-doing, and of cultivating the way of nature. The Tao Te Ching, the classic on the way and virtue, says, People learn from the earth. Earth learns from heaven. Heaven learns from the way. And the way learns from nature. But actually, the principle of their teaching is, influence and response. On the other hand, Buddhism promotes kindness and compassion. These three religions, Confucianism, Buddhism, and Taoism, are not beyond the mind. Beyond the mind, there are no religions. Confucianism advocates loyalty and forgiveness. Loyalty means to hold oneself with loyalty. 
Forgiveness means to treat people with forgiveness. To hold yourself with loyalty means to handle things and treat people with sincerity and honesty. This is basic to cultivating your character and virtue. To treat people with forgiveness means to pardon others. If they make mistakes, forgive them and be tolerant. If you can hold yourself with loyalty, your character will be pure and noble. If you can forgive people, you will benefit others and not pick on them. This is the teaching of Confucianism, which is not beyond the mind. The Chinese characters for loyalty, zhong, and forgiveness, shu, both have a mind radical at the bottom. In Taoism, everything depends on influence and response. What is influence? It means with influence there is penetration. And what is response? It means no request is not granted. Anyone who seeks will have his request granted. This is describing the interchange in the path between influence and response. Take the example of an electric current. Wherever the electricity is connected, there can be light. With influence, there is penetration, and no request is not granted. This also means that other people can know what you are thinking. There is a mutual influence and response between people, like an electric current running between their minds. This is how the influence and response works. Whatever you seek, you will get. If you are really sincere, you will have influence, and thus be able to penetrate through to the gods and spirits. Taoism talks about influence and response, and Laozi wrote the essay on influence and response, which begins by saying, "Blessings and misfortunes have no door, but be people bring them upon themselves. That's influence and response." There's no door for the misfortunes or blessings to come in. If you do good deeds, you will have blessings. If you do evil deeds, you will have misfortunes. The retribution for good and evil deeds follows us like a shadow. The retribution for good deeds and for evil deeds is just like the shadow which follows your body, everywhere, wherever you go. Your shadow follows you. And so heaven and earth. Have gods in charge of offenses? Heaven and earth have four gods in charge of the year, the month, the day, and the hour. There are always gods and spirits quietly and invisibly supervising everything. And so it is said, heaven and earth have gods in charge of offenses. They reduce people's allotted lifespans according to the severity of their offenses. When your lifespan is reduced. You meet up with poverty and waste. To reduce a person's lifespan means to shorten his life. One g is a period of twelve years, and we speak of reducing lifespans in terms of g. So a person who is supposed to live a long life may die unexpectedly. With your lifespan shortened, you may also become poor and experience all kinds of misfortunes. Accidents, sicknesses, and bad reputation. The essay on influence and response says, "With influence there is penetration; no request is not granted. 
So Taoism talks about influence and response. Buddhism promotes kindness and compassion. What is kindness? It means kindness for those with whom you have no affinities. That is to say, you should be kind and compassionate to the people with whom you have no affinities, no matter how they treat you. We should be especially kind toward those with whom we have no affinities. Compassion refers to great compassion of identity in substance. How can we have great compassion? It means to have great sympathy. When we see others suffering, we also suffer. So we say, have compassion and pity on the world's people. We should practice kindness, compassion, joy, and giving, because kindness gives happiness, while compassion eradicates suffering. By being kind, we can make living beings happy, and by being compassionate, we can alleviate their suffering and afflictions. We should love people as much as we love ourselves. Everyone should quickly become happy. Don't quickly become sad. If you become depressed, then you'll take a trip to the hells. If you become happy, then you'll have a place in the Buddha land. The ancients also said, "This year's flowers are as pretty as last year's. They are just as beautiful, but last year's person is older this year. This year." A person is one year older than last year. Who would have expected that when people get old, they aren't as good as flowers? That is to say, when people grow old, they don't look as pretty as flowers. They get wrinkles and gray hair, and they can't walk very steadily. Their ears go deaf, their eyes get blurred, and they get older year by year. Who would have expected that when people get old, they aren't as good as the flowers? Which bloom so abundantly and beautifully, year after year. When the flowers wilt, don't sweep them away. If you sweep them away, then you won't see any more flowers. That's how an ancient writer compared flowers to people. Now we say Happy New Year. I've been in America for over thirty years, and I've forgotten all about celebrating the Lunar New Year. I would always pass the year in a muddle, with no concept of year, season, or day, so the time passed in vain. How many times have I spent the New Year's at the city of ten thousand Buddhas? Does anyone remember? Have I ever spent the New Year at the city of ten thousand Buddhas? If you know, please answer. Those of you who have been here a long time, I'm asking. How many times have I spent the New Year's here? As far as I know, this is my first year. After all these years, I've come to spend New Year's Day here, but no one has hung up any lanterns or ribbons, so we're celebrating the New Year again. But there's nothing special about it. When New Year's comes, everyone should have a new outlook on life. Don't look so worried and afflicted. Everyone should be happy and joyful. The most important thing on this New Year's Day is that we should make a vow that during the New Year, 
we will not lose our temper, and we will not set off the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, or the laser cannon. What do I mean by the atomic bomb? It represents our temper. When we get upset, that's the hydrogen bomb. When we refuse to talk and we put on a forbidding look, that's the laser cannon. People wear these weapons on their faces. If we didn't wear these weapons, then the world would be at peace. And if we are peaceful, then our own world will be fresh and new. If everyone can be this way, then everyone's world will be fresh and new. It will be a world of peace and prosperity. But as soon as we get upset, then these bombs start exploding. In China, people are forbidden from setting off firecrackers during the New Year's. Now, this is a good idea. If people don't set off firecrackers, then they won't get mad or afflicted either, and that's a good sign for the New Year. People can play music, listen to music, and sing songs. I heard that Principal Zhang sang a song last night, and everyone laughed so hard that they were rolling on the ground. Is that true? This year, I hope everyone will become a new person, and not set off any more bombs. Don't pass on your sick germs and spread them to the world. If everyone can refrain from getting angry, then we can avert all disasters. All the natural calamities and man-made disasters will be gone. Everyone should pay attention to this. We should advance vigorously and not retreat. As we celebrate this new year, we should make a new resolve, make a new vow to be new people. The announcement to Kang said, "Make a new people." So we must make a new people, not an old people. At the city of Ten Thousand Buddhas, there are all kinds of people. There are very good people, and there are also very bad people. There are people who want to cultivate the way, and there are also people who want to be lazy bugs. There are all kinds of people. In any group, the dragons and snakes intermingle. That is to say, the members are not all the same. So you shouldn't think that every person at the city of Ten Thousand Buddhas. Is a diligent cultivator. At the city, there are also many people who don't cultivate. It's simply a matter of whether or not you recognize them. People who believe in Buddhism should understand many subjects, not just one subject. If you can find the good points in a bad situation, then that can be called cultivation. Just now, what did you say sick people were? Upasakalin replies, "Sick people are great bodhisattvas right next to us, whom we can learn from. They inspire us to bring forth thoughts of kindness, compassion, joy, and giving. Sick people manifest the appearance of being sick in order to teach us. First of all, we should understand why they are sick. The reason they are sick is because they didn't know how to take good care of the body." That's why they became sick, and they are manifesting the sickness in order to teach others 
They are letting us know that being sick is a lot of suffering. So they are speaking the Dharma for us, causing us to think. If I see others die, my heart burns like fire. It's not burning for them, but because I know it will soon be my turn. Therefore, when we see the pain and suffering of others while we ourselves are still healthy, it should spur us on to work even harder at cultivation. It is said, Don't wait until you're old to study the way. The lonely graves are mostly those of young people. So, regarding cultivation, people shouldn't think, Oh, I'll wait till I'm 70 or 80 years old when nobody wants me anymore. And my children don't want to take care of me, then I'll go to the monastery and leave the home life. Well, by the time you're 70 or 80 years old, even the monastery won't want to take you. So that is not a good idea. What should you do then? You should start cultivating diligently while you're still young. Don't wait until you're too old to cultivate the way. The lonely graves are mostly those of young people. The people in those lonely, solitary graves are all by themselves because they died when they were young, before they had got married and had children. So when we see those solitary graves, we shouldn't wait any longer to cultivate. We should think, I'm also a young person. So if we can reflect on the situations that we encounter and bring forth the resolve to cultivate the way, then It can be said that these states are also speaking the Dharma for us. That's why I often say that all the myriad things in the world, whether they are good or bad, proper or improper, are speaking the Dharma. We should be very careful in the way we conduct ourselves as people. We should be as careful as if we are walking on the brink of an abyss or as if treading on thin ice. We shouldn't be so bold and reckless as to transgress the precepts set down by heaven. We should always be aware that heaven has heavenly laws, the earth has earthly laws, and people also have their own laws. Each has its own laws. Heaven, earth, and people are called the three realms, and we are within these three realms. As it's said, If we can see things and awaken to them, then we can transcend the world. But if we see things and are confused, then we fall onto the revolving wheel. If you can see things around you and understand the way they are, then you will transcend the world. But if you see things and you don't understand them, and you are instead confused by them, then you will fall onto the turning wheel. If you look into this in detail, You'll find that all the myriad things, without exception, are speaking the Dharma. Why is this Dharma being spoken? It's being spoken to counteract our faults and our bad habits. If we can become enlightened when we encounter these states, instead of being affected and swayed by these states, if we can influence states instead of being influenced by them, then we may be called cultivators of the way. We must have strong resolve, samadhi power, wisdom power, and the power of precepts. If we want to have samadhi power, then we must first cultivate the precepts. Earlier, someone talked about doing no evil. That's also the precepts. 
Practicing all good deeds is also the precepts. Doing no evil means to stop doing all kinds of evil deeds. Practicing all good deeds means offering up all good conduct. If we can refrain from all evil deeds and practice all good deeds, then our minds will naturally become pure. We will no longer have any stupid or discursive thoughts in our mind. Our crazy minds and wild natures will settle down, and we won't be deluded by wealth or by beauty. Nor will we be deluded by fame and profit. That's wealth, beauty, and fame. As for food, we won't be hung up on eating, and we won't be confused by sleep. Sleep is one of the five coverings. If we sleep too much, then we will become stupid. Take a look at pigs. What they do is they just eat their fill and then they fall into a deep slumber, snoring very loudly. And when they've slept enough, they get up and eat some more. After eating their fill, they doze off again. That's all they do all day long. They just keep eating until one day people will slaughter them and eat their meat. We should follow the saying: Be diligent and economical in managing the household, and the family will prosper. Teach the children at home, and the family's descendants will become worthy ones. Every family should teach its children well. When the children are educated well, then the family will prosper. When all families can prosper, then the country will also do well. When the country is prosperous, it will have a good position in the world. So we should cherish ourselves and cultivate ourselves well. To cultivate ourselves, we must make our minds proper. If our minds are not proper, then we won't be able to cultivate ourselves. And if we cannot cultivate ourselves, then we won't be able to govern the country well. If the country isn't well governed, then there won't be any peace in the world. Therefore, the foremost thing is to eradicate desire. That means we should sever all our materialistic desires and greed. We should eliminate all thoughts of lust. Once we have eliminated all thoughts of desire. We can extend our knowledge. That is to say, we can activate our inherent wisdom. Extending knowledge means bringing forth our innate wisdom. If we want to extend our knowledge and have true wisdom, first we have to make our will sincere. And how can we make our will sincere? We have to first concentrate on one thing, and not allow ourselves to be distracted. In every moment. We should devote ourselves completely to whatever we are doing, without being distracted. That's what it means to make the will sincere. Once our will is sincere, we can make our mind proper, and after our minds are proper, we can begin to cultivate ourselves. Having cultivated ourselves, we can then regulate the family. After our families are regulated, then the country can be well governed. And once all countries are well governed, there will be peace in the world. With peace in the world, the guns and knives will be put away, and all the horses will be set to graze in the southern mountains. All the wars will disappear from the world. So we must start with ourselves 
by eliminating our own desires. We shouldn't have any desire for wealth, for beauty, for fame, food, or sleep. These are the so-called five desires. If we have any of these five desires, then we haven't cut off our desires, and then we won't be able to extend our knowledge. Nor will we be able to make our will sincere, make our minds proper, cultivate ourselves, regulate our families, govern the country, or bring peace to the world. We won't be able to do any of these things. So if we go back to the root of it all, the most basic thing is to eradicate desire. Once we understand how to eradicate desires, we will understand everything else. But if we don't get rid of desires, and we still have many thoughts of desire in our minds, then our inherent wisdom will never develop. We should all pay attention to this point. In Confucianism, there are eight principles. There are also the three guidelines, which are first, to reveal our bright virtue, second, to renovate the people, and third, to attain the highest goodness. Revealing our bright virtue refers to revealing our inherent virtuous nature, which we all possess. We are adorned with the myriad virtues in our fundamental nature, but these virtues are not manifest. We are confused and muddled because we haven't yet revealed our bright virtue. So the first step is to reveal our bright virtue. The second step is to renovate the people. This means that once we have understood the principles ourselves, we should introduce them to our fellow human beings with the wish that all people will understand them. Once we renovate the people, then everyone can attain the highest goodness. They can all reach the highest stage, the most supreme state. We can all reach the level of the greatest wisdom. We can understand these principles, and then all the myriad things in the world are speaking the Dharma. They are all telling us to reflect within, to reform our faults, and to become good cultivators. If we can understand this, then all the myriad things are speaking the Dharma. But if we don't understand, then all the myriad things in the world will just blur our vision and make us dazed and confused so that we won't know what to do. So if we can see things and awaken to them, then we will transcend the world. But if we see things and are confused by them, we will just fall onto the turning wheel again. The good things, good events, are speaking the Dharma for us, and bad events are also speaking the Dharma for us. Events which are neither good nor bad are also speaking the Dharma for us. And if we can understand this, then we won't need to come to this lecture hall in the International Translation Institute to listen to the Dharma. At all times and in all places, we will be learning. In all times and places, we can listen to the Dharma, and it will be just like this. We can listen to this wonderful Dharma, which is everywhere and the experience of the inherent nature will be discovered, and it doesn't come from outside. All 
good and wise advisors. Today, at the opening of the Bodhi Way Association, many good men, good women, good boys and good girls have come to listen to the Dharma. This is the so-called listening. There is listening to the outside and listening to the inside. Listening outside means listening to all the sounds in the world. There are sounds of suffering, sounds of happiness, sounds of good and sounds of evil. There are limitlessly many sounds. However, we cannot hear the true sounds, because the true sounds are inside. Why can't we hear them? It's because we don't know how to listen. We only know how to seek outside, and we don't know how to seek within our own nature and discover our own treasure trove. So we forsake what is inside to seek outside. We renounce the root to pursue the branches. We hear too many sounds outside, and so it's not easy to hear the sounds inside. So we have to do what is called reversing the hearing to hear our own nature. What does our nature sound like? We don't know. Why not? Because we haven't listened. In order for our nature to accomplish the supreme way, we must enter the flow and forget external states. When we reverse the hearing, then we are neither aware of what is outside nor what is inside. There is no inside and no outside, and also no middle. You might say this is very confusing. If you can listen to this confusion until it becomes clear, then you are simply reversing the hearing to hear the self-nature. If you were not confused, then you would not hear the self-nature. And so, when we cultivate, it is said, when you cultivate great stupidity, just that is cleverness. When you learn to be like a fool, you'll start to see the ingenuity. It is also said, great wisdom appears like stupidity. Great skill seems like clumsiness. Great eloquence sounds like stammering. People who are eloquent don't need to say very much. With one sentence, they can leave you speechless. They aren't garrulous and rambling, speaking a whole bunch of things. That's why great eloquence is said to be like stammering. You say, I don't believe this. You can look into history, and you'll find that all those historical orators and great speakers of unobstructed eloquence never talk themselves out of breath. They didn't have a silver tongue for debate. Rather, they would just make their point in a single sentence and leave you speechless. No matter how good a debater you might be, you would be left without anything to say. That's called great eloquence. And great skill seems like clumsiness. People of great skill may seem very slow and stupid when they act, but they are actually very clever. For example, Ruban was a patriarch of carpenters, but no one in his time recognized his skill or appreciated his ingenuity. Great skill seems like clumsiness. Great eloquence seems like stammering. Great vessels are completed late. Great sounds are hardly heard. I hope that all the people of Bodhi Way Association can gather in the energy that we use to listen outside. 
we can gather in the body and mind and reverse the hearing to hear our own nature. If we can do this, then we have taken the first step to understanding Buddhism. So we should study extensively, question carefully, reflect attentively, discriminate clearly, and practice honestly. Reflecting means to consider, but it doesn't mean to think too much. When you think too much, thinking back and forth, then you become very hesitant and indecisive. Reflecting means attentive consideration. We must first extensively investigate worldly and transcendental knowledge. If we want to learn worldly dharmas, we have to study the languages and literature of the world. If we want to learn transcendental dharma, then we must study the transcendental languages and literatures. This is what is meant by studying extensively. Careful questioning is related to listening. Listening means carefully questioning. When you hear sounds outside, ask yourself, what value do these sounds have? What value does the sound inside of us have? First, we should study extensively and question carefully, and then we should reflect attentively. When we are reflecting, we shouldn't be casual, and we shouldn't become muddled. Even if we think so hard that our hair turns white, that's of no use. For example, we might think about making a fortune, but we will fail. We might think about becoming an official, but we won't make it. All day long we have these false thoughts. Suddenly we think about going to the heavens. Suddenly we think about going into the earth. There's no use to this kind of thinking. We have to be decisive. We have to know what is the Dharma and what is not the Dharma. We have to follow what is good and change what is bad. We have to cultivate. That is, we have to practice. And in the skill of listening, we have to use our wisdom. We have to use the Dharma-selecting vision to discriminate the Dharma from the non-Dharmas. If something is right to practice, then we can go ahead and practice it. If it's appropriate to stop, then we should stop. Reflection also requires wisdom. If we have muddled thoughts, that is also reflection. That is to say, we have false thoughts on how we can get rich by gambling, but when we get there, we lose. This kind of thinking is useless. We wanted to get rich, but we fail. We wanted to become officials, but we couldn't. These thoughts only waste our energy, our gasoline. And this is not wisdom, it's called stupidity. With wisdom, we can advance when it's the way and retreat if it's not the way. Cultivation means practice. What is practice? You might say, well, I'm going to rob a bank. That's also practicing. I want to practice, I want to cultivate. No, that would be wrong, that would be violating the law. You should only do things which are not against the law. Anything that is against the law should not be done. After you have listened to something, you should reflect on it. And after you have reflected on it, you should cultivate. Therefore, the three wisdoms of listening, reflecting, and cultivating are precepts, samadhi, and wisdom. Precepts 
serve to stop all evil and prevent us from making errors. We should listen to good sounds and not to evil sounds. For example, you should listen to the music which is proper. Don't listen to the music of Zhen, which involves lewd and immoral thoughts. Nowadays, the streets are filled with lustful thoughts and lustful sounds, sounds which are foul and should not be listened to. So, in listening, you should follow what is good and change what is not good. You should do the same when reflecting and cultivating. The wisdom of listening is precepts. The wisdom of reflection is similar to samadhi. And the wisdom of cultivation means that you must have wisdom in order to cultivate and to distinguish what is the Dharma from what is not the Dharma. If you have no wisdom, then you will take what is not the Dharma to be Dharma, and you will take what is the Dharma to be what is not the Dharma. You will not have the Dharma selecting vision, and you will not be able to recognize the genuine Buddha Dharma. Someone says, I am the real Buddha. Oh, then who is the fake Buddha? If you were the Buddha, why would you have to say that you are the real Buddha? If you are in fact a Buddha, why do you have to call yourself the real one? The president never says, I am the real president. For who is the fake president? This principle can be applied to other cases as well. Whenever the genuine one is mentioned, there is a problem. If there were no problem, then people wouldn't say, I am the real one, I am the superior one. Who is the common one? Who is the bad one? I am bringing this up because I want you to have the Dharma selecting vision. You shouldn't think that whatever people say is true just because it sounds good. A knowledgeable and wise person will not advertise himself, saying, I'm wonderful, don't you know me? I'm a great Dharma master. I'm an elder Dharma master. I'm a terrific Dharma master. If you're really that wonderful, why do you have to advertise yourself? What are those ads for? Ads are for selling products. If you're not trying to sell something, why would you bother to advertise? The man who goes around selling gold or gems doesn't yell, I have pure gold, I have pure gold. If you're selling pure gold, then that's fine. Why do you have to advertise that it's pure? The gem merchant says, Here are my gems, hurry up and buy some. This is how much they cost. If they are real gems, then even if you don't go around yelling about it, people will recognize them and want to buy them. Hollering in the streets is just trying to cheat those who cannot tell the difference. Therefore, the work of listening, reflecting, and cultivating must be done inwardly, not outwardly. It is not done for others to see, but just for ourselves. So we must put it into practice ourselves. Didn't I just say we have to study extensively, question carefully, reflect attentively, discriminate clearly? And then practice honestly? Practicing honestly means cultivating wisdom. If we cannot practice honestly, then whatever we say will be false, and whatever we listen to, reflect on, 
and cultivate will also be false. Therefore, we have to practice honestly. Honestly means being true and real, without the slightest trace of artificiality or ulterior motives. The precepts serve to stop evil and prevent errors. What kind of evil is stopped? People don't like to listen to what I say because I am ruthlessly honest and I talk about things which people don't like to hear. We should all refrain from evil, from all evil. What do I mean by all evil? Most people explain it as refraining from every evil deed, but every evil deed includes too many things. The beginning of all evil, most importantly, is the matter between men and women. Whether one is a man or a woman, one should not be licentious. Even husbands and wives should be very proper and not act in dissipated ways. Spouses should respect and be courteous to one another. You may say, "This Dharma master is too old-fashioned, talking about such obsolete ideas. He's really behind the times." This is truly absurd. Well, I am just such an outdated person. What is the foremost of all evils? Lust. It is said that among the myriad evils, lust is the foremost. So don't take this road to death. If you take this road, then you're on your way to death. That's why I explain stopping all evil as refraining from licentious behavior. What is meant by doing all good? You say, well, there are many good things that I want to do. Can you ever finish doing them all? You can't finish doing all good, even if it takes your whole life. So let me tell you the bottom line: doing all good means cultivating the conduct of purity. If you are not pure, then you have no goodness. If you are pure, then you have goodness. Therefore, stopping all evil means not behaving licentiously, and doing all good refers to pure conduct. I will just say this much for today. I am a person who doesn't know how to talk. But I just speak truthfully like this, and yet it is also false because where there is the truth, there is also the false. My time has been taken up by everyone else, so now I'll take ten minutes back. I won't take back any more than that. You have just heard me explain doing no evil and practicing all good as being pure and being impure. You might think that you've never heard anyone explain it that way. If you ponder it carefully, it really boils down to those two things: all the evil in the world is caused by lust. And if you can practice the myriad good deeds in the world, it's because you're pure and free of lust. That's what practicing all good means. It's as simple as that. It's not a bunch of complicated theory. If you want to hear a lot of nonsense, you can go see a play. When we lecture on the Dharma, we talk about the basics, what's important. If you understand it, then you can utilize it for your whole life, and you won't be able to exhaust the benefit. If you don't believe this, then let me bring up an example. Mencius said that he was forty before his mind no longer moved. What was it not moved by? It wasn't moved by lust. 
he had subdued his mind. That's what an unmoving mind means. The Vajra Sutra says, Produce the mind which doesn't dwell anywhere. This is also subduing the mind. It is the thought of lust that is subdued. But this is not easy to subdue. Why haven't we become sages, sound hearers, or conditioned enlightened ones? It's because we can't subdue the thought of lust. When you subdue lust, then you are practicing all good. Mencius was forty before he could subdue his mind and become a sage. Yanzi or Yanhui could subdue his mind from the time he was born. Yanhui was said to live in a humble house, eat from a single dish, and drink with a ladle. Since he didn't even have a bowl, he ate from a piece of bamboo. That's how poor he was. He couldn't even dream of having a cup to drink from, so he drank straight from the ladle. Others could not endure his hardship. Most people saw him and exclaimed, See how much suffering he is in! But Yanzi didn't alter his happiness. Why was he happy? It was because he didn't seek anything outside. He didn't rely on any external conditions. He truly attained the happiness within his own nature. He had really succeeded in reversing the hearing to hear the self-nature. And he was replete with the wisdom of listening, the wisdom of reflecting, and the wisdom of cultivating. So Confucius said of him, Hui has never gone against my words. No matter what I say, he is always, Yes, yes, yes. He never argued back. Just like a fool, like a retarded person or vegetable. But, Confucius continued, When I went back and examined his thinking, I knew Hui was not a fool. Actually, Yan Hui was diligently applying himself, practicing Chan meditation, he had learned the happiness of Confucius and imitated the Supreme Spirit of the Buddha. So Yan Hui was a person of great wisdom. He died at the age of 33. And why? It was because he had done what he had come to do. He had already exerted his influence on people enough. Yan Hui was such that he could hear one principle and know ten. After hearing one principle, he could understand ten principles by inference. Another disciple of Confucius, Si, could hear one and know two principles. So, Zigong said, I don't match up to Yan Hui. I'm way too far below him. Yan Hui entered the spiritual path as a pure youth, so he was happy every day. Confucius said, I set my heart on learning at the age of 15. The scholar Shu Laotian began applying himself vigorously to his studies when he was 27. Later on, there were three members of the family Shu. He was the elder Shu. There was also the great Shu and the little Shu. They were known as the three Shus, Shu Laotian, Shu Dongpo, and Su Ziyou. Now there is someone who claims to have the learning of the three Su's put together. That person is really bluffing. So you see, there are all kinds of people, including those who hang around the rich and noble in order to raise their own status. 
like the toad who dreamed of eating the meat of the swan. Confucius said, At thirty, I established my resolve. The resolve to do what? To imitate the ancient sages and worthy ones. To imitate heaven and earth in every move that he made. He wanted to learn from and imitate the ancient sages, such as the emperors Yao and Shun, and the emperors Yu, Tang, Wen, and Wu, and the duke of Zhou. At forty, I was not confused. Confucius had awakened and become enlightened, and he understood. His mind became unmoving, and he no longer had lustful thoughts. This was the state of a sage. At fifty, I knew the will of heaven. At sixty, my ear was an obedient organ for the reception of truth. At seventy, I could follow my heart's desires without transgressing the rules. Confucius ate meat and was not vegetarian, except when he bathed and ate vegetarian food before offering sacrifices to the Lord on High. Confucius also talked about the Lord on High, but this did not refer to the Christian God. His Lord is known in China as the Jade Emperor. In Buddhism, the Jade Emperor is a Dharma protector who protects Buddhism. So Confucius worshipped the Jade Emperor, and he didn't transgress the law of heaven. What is the law of heaven? It is simply to avoid having thoughts of lust. What I have said today will be very irritating to some people, and they will be very upset. But don't worry, over time you will no longer find it irritating. To all elderly, good, and wise advisors, all good and wise advisors in the prime of life, and all young, good and wise advisors who have great promise. A good and wise advisor is someone who knows what is the proper dharma and what is improper dharma. Knowing what is proper and improper, we should follow what is good and change what is bad. If it is the way, we should go upon it. If it is not the way, we should retreat from it. We must have the vision to discriminate the dharma, and we must have proper knowledge and proper views. Having proper knowledge and proper views means that we should do what is beneficial to people and avoid doing anything that harms people. Not only should we act this way towards people, we should act this way towards all living beings. If we can do this, then we haven't been people in vain. But if we cannot recognize the true principles, then we have been people in vain. Why? Because we don't know the roots of being people. We don't understand how we should live. When we live in the world, we should help others and forget ourselves. We should benefit all people, all living beings, benefit our country, our family, and ourselves, and benefit the entire world. We want to benefit others and not ourselves. Why? Because to benefit the self is to have a small scope. To benefit all people and all living beings is to help everyone and the whole substance. 
If we only scheme for ourselves, then we can probably get by without doing much of anything. We ourselves cannot consume very much food or wear that much clothing. As for a place to live, we may have a mansion with a thousand rooms, but at night we only take up eight feet of space. We may have ten thousand acres of fields, but we only eat three meals a day. At the city of ten thousand Buddhas, the left-home people eat only one meal a day, and so do some of the lay people. Why do they follow this practice? Because there's not enough food in the world. We wish to reduce the amount of food that we eat, and leave some more food for other people in the world. You might say, well, even if you don't eat that food, others may not get to eat it. Whether or not they get it, the food doesn't disappear. If we eat less and save more for others, then we are helping the world. You say, I can't do that. Not only you can't do it, but many other people can't do it either. Why not? Because people are all selfish. Every day they have to eat their fill and have enough clothing to be warm. If they have to suffer a little bit, then they feel that they've taken a great loss. But actually, when we live in this world, we should know that to endure suffering is to put an end to suffering. It is because we have suffering that we are suffering. How do we know that we are suffering? Ask yourself: Do you have a temper? Do you have ignorance? Do you have afflictions? If you have these, it is because you lack virtue. That is why you are ignorant. That is why you get angry, and that is why you become afflicted. So the Buddha said, all kinds of ignorance are roots of suffering. Ignorance, anger, and afflictions are all roots of suffering. When the roots of suffering are pulled out, then what's left will be roots of goodness. Once you have put an end to the roots of suffering, the good roots will grow. So it is said, enduring suffering puts an end to suffering. Enjoying blessings uses up blessings. If we have blessings, we should share them with all living beings instead of just enjoying them by ourselves. If you enjoy all your blessings, you'll use them up and you won't have any more. If you share your blessings with others, though, it's like if you have food and you give it to those who are hungry. It's not known how many people starve to death every day in other countries, and in many countries, people don't have clothing to wear. We can be more frugal in our own clothing and transfer the benefit to all the suffering living beings in the world. That way, we can benefit the world. Even so, we shouldn't get attached to our merit. We shouldn't think, since I did this, I have a lot of merit and virtue. There is a saying: "Good deeds, which are done hoping others will see, are not truly good. Evil, which is done fearing that others will find out, is great evil." This goodness refers to being filial. As for evil, it is said, "Of the myriad evils, lust is the foremost. Don't walk on this road to death. Lustful behavior is evil and deviant." But nowadays, everyone is running down this path. They are finding all kinds of ways to indulge their lust. 
So the morality of the world declines with every day, and people's hearts do not follow the example of the ancients. Each day is worse than the day before. In ancient times, people's hearts were all good, and there wasn't so much deviant and evil behavior, and therefore there weren't so many strange diseases, such as cancer and AIDS, which cannot be cured. People still do not realize why these diseases are occurring. It is simply because people are too perverse, too evil, and too immoral. That is why these calamities have happened. If we take a look at the man-made disasters and the natural disasters of the world, we see that there are too many to speak of. First, there may be a flood. Then there will be a fire. After a fire, there's a hurricane, and after that, there's an earthquake. All kinds of catastrophes are occurring. This is because people's hearts are too evil. We should quickly wake ourselves up, and then wake up all the people in the world. We must follow the good and change the bad. Follow the way and retreat from that which is not the way. We must have proper knowledge and views. And have the vision to judge the Dharma, so that we can discriminate black from white. Don't be so muddled and confused that you let your life pass in vain. That would be a great pity. Fellow students, I know you have many problems which you cannot solve. Perhaps we can have a discussion, a question and answer session. I am a person with no wisdom, so if your questions are too deep. Then I won't be able to answer them, but I'm not that stupid either. So if your questions are too shallow, then I won't feel like answering them. It would be best if your questions are neither too deep nor too shallow. The point is to resolve your problems. You shouldn't ask difficult questions on purpose, nor should you ask about problems which you know are impossible to resolve. If you do that. Then we can't have a response in the way. We should unite our wills and walk on the same path. If there is anything which you really don't understand, you can ask about that. If there is something which you are dissatisfied with, you can also bring that up. If you are unable to resolve some problem, bring it up for everyone to discuss, and we can have a casual conversation. That way. I will know what is on your mind, and you will be able to see if my answers make sense. If I don't know how to answer a question, then I won't dare to force an answer. I won't presume to know what I don't know, and understand what I don't understand. If we know it, then we know it. If we don't know it, then we don't know it. So let's all investigate the principles. Let's investigate the principles which people need to know and understand. And everyone can say whatever he wishes to say. I must first make clear that each person should only ask one question. Many people have questions, and if only one person keeps asking questions, then there may not be enough time for everyone else. I plan to have a discussion with you until 10:30 at the very latest. Then I am going back to San Francisco. It was because I heard that all of you young and promising students. Came up to the city of ten thousand Buddhas, so I made a special trip up here last night.
so I could spend some time with you today. But since I still have some business to attend to in San Francisco, I can only stay until 10:30. So, if there is no time for you to ask your question today, save it for next time. I am a sophomore at UC Berkeley. Recently, in my studies, I've felt a lot of pressure and competition, and I haven't managed to liberate myself from it or to feel any sense of satisfaction. I wonder if there's any benefit in my attending this university. I really don't know what I should do. I know a girl named Edith Chen who recently participated in the international Ivo Pogorelich solo piano competition. She is 23, while all the other contestants were well-known pianists over 30 years old. She had always been very strongly competitive for fame and profit, and she cared a lot about winning. We should study with a calm and peaceful mind, and we should not think about too many things. Just be determined to study, and don't worry about whether it turns out good or bad. Make no distinction of gain and loss. That is what Edith Chen did when she entered her competition. In the semifinals, there were 30 contestants, and she won the championship and became instantly renowned. Being so young, how did she manage to win? It was because she understood the Buddha Dharma. So when she performed in the competition, she didn't have any thought of winning or losing, or of seeking fame and profit. She just performed in a very tranquil state of mind, and as a result, her wishes came true. When you study, you shouldn't put yourself under so much pressure. If you give yourself a lot of pressure, then you'll have mental blocks, and you won't be able to study well. But if you don't do well, you shouldn't be afraid either. Just use the ordinary mind as the way. Take it in stride. Who was it who put you under all that pressure? It was you yourself. If you don't feel pressured and you let things develop naturally, then all the pressure will be gone. I am the chairperson of the Chinese Buddhist Society, and I would like to request the Venerable Master to help me get rid of my poisons. My poisons are the three poisons of greed, hatred, and stupidity in Buddhism. I feel that I should study hard during my school years, but I am affected by emotional involvements. And also, as the leader of this society, I have experienced some difficulties in getting along with people. I know that my problems come from the poisons: greed, hatred, and stupidity. Please give me some advice. All the evil karma is based on beginningless greed, hatred, and stupidity. For eons without beginning, we've been planting seeds of defilement, and so our emotions are very strong, very abundant. Where do these emotions come from? They come from greed, hatred, and stupidity. That's why these are called the three poisons. Since the three poisons are so fierce, why are you unable to part with them? You shouldn't be so greedy, so hateful, or so stupid. That is to say, you shouldn't deal with things on an emotional level. You may say, "Well, people are creatures of emotion." If you want to escape the pressure of emotions, you have to study hard. If a girl doesn't have a boyfriend, 
then she won't feel any emotional pressure. And if a boy doesn't have a girlfriend, he will also be free of emotional pressure. The schools at the city of Ten Thousand Buddhas are rather old-fashioned. The boys and girls study in separate schools. What is the reason for this? It is because human emotions are stronger than anything else. When emotions are so overpowering, then people don't feel like studying or doing any kind of work. This is because they are overcome by their affections. Girls should wait until they are twenty years old before looking for a boyfriend, and even then they should not get too deeply involved. If they pay too much attention to romantic matters before they are out of school, they will definitely not be able to study well. Similarly, if boys pay too much attention to their emotions, then their schoolwork will not be very good, because their minds are distracted by affection. Therefore, if you want to do well in school and understand the principles, you should first put affections aside. You should wait until you have finished your studies before considering romantic involvements and looking for a mate. This is a very important point. Nowadays, people all chase after superficial things, and they forget about the fundamentals. They are really upside down. In this way, people become more degenerate day after day. In the ancient times, people didn't pay much attention to romance when they were studying, to the point that they might not have thought about it at all. Why do people study? The ancients studied in order to understand the principles, to know the principles behind everything, to know how to be a proper person. I'm not scolding people, but if you ask modern students why they go to school, they will say, "I want people to respect me." Ask them what field they want to study, and they'll say that they want to study medicine, or whatever field can bring them a lot of money. The ancients studied in order to understand the principles, while most students nowadays are looking for fame and profit. They desire good reputations, attractive jobs, high positions, and large incomes. It's true, we do study so that we will have a basis for a livelihood. However, worrying about the livelihood is something we should do in the future. You should wait until you finish your studies before you make other plans. While you are still studying, you should not compete to be number one, to be the one who makes the most money, and so on. If you have that kind of attitude, then you won't be able to study well. And even if your studies are passable, you won't understand how to be a good person. You will only know how to make money, how to look for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And how to indulge in your emotions. Therefore, you are only spending your efforts on greed, hatred, and stupidity. And you don't understand anything about morality, samadhi, and wisdom. Morality refers to not doing any evil deeds. Samadhi means to have concentration power, so that you will not be moved by your emotions. And wisdom means to be wise and intelligent. Nowadays, since people only know how to use greed, hatred, and stupidity, 
and since they don't think about morality, samadhi, and wisdom, the conventions, the moral standards of the world, fall lower day by day, and perhaps one day there will be no one in our society who understands true principles anymore. I am a sophomore at the University of California in Berkeley. I started to learn Buddhism two years ago, and I know that in Buddhism, it's very important to have two kinds of faith. One is faith in the Buddha, and the other is faith in oneself. But I have found it difficult to have faith in myself. Whether I am studying or doing things, I usually don't have enough self-confidence, and I doubt my own ability. I don't know if this is because I don't have enough samadhi power, or if there is some other reason. You shouldn't have the notion of a self, and you shouldn't have the notion of a Buddha. If you believe in the Buddha, then you're seeking outside. If you believe in the self, you're seeking inside. Whether you're seeking inside or outside, it's not the middle way. So in the Shurangama Sutra, it says, it is not inside, it is not outside, and it is not in the middle. When you are studying the Buddha Dharma, you shouldn't have any doubts. The reason you have doubts is because you are not your own master. A cultivator's mind should not have doubts. If you think something is right, then go ahead and do it. If you don't think it's right, then don't do it. Just rely on the truth. You have to find the middle way. Don't doubt the middle way. A cultivator's mind should not have doubts. Once doubt arises, it's easy for the cultivator to go wrong. Once you have doubt, then no matter what kind of thought you have, it's already wrong. You're only having false thoughts. Don't be so hesitant. Be firm and decisive. When a problem comes your way, just consider whether or not it is reasonable. If something is unreasonable, then don't do it no matter how good it is. If it is reasonable, then do it even if you must take a loss. It's no use to keep on doubting. Young people should have the genuine Dharma-selecting vision. If you have the Dharma-selecting vision, then you won't have any doubts. Your name means extensive, so you should study extensively, and then you won't have so many doubts. Read more so that your knowledge won't be shallow and narrow in scope. Then you won't have doubts about everything. When your learning is profound, then your mind and energy will be calm, and you will be free of doubts. Venerable Master, tell me which is more important. In learning the Buddha Dharma, should we stay at home all day, or should we go to the temple to bow to the Buddha, to recite the Buddha's name, and to obtain a response from the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and seek rebirth in the Western Pure Land? Or should we practice the Buddha Dharma in our daily life? You should practice the Buddha Dharma in daily life, but it has to be a pure Dharma, not defiled Dharma. If you can lead a normal life and be pure and free of false thoughts and desires, just that is the Buddha Dharma. On the other hand, if you bow to the Buddha, recite the Buddha's name, and seek rebirth in the Western Pure Land every day, but you lose your temper and get into quarrels with people as soon as you see them, then it's no use at all. If you act like that, 
then even if you recite the Buddha's name, you can't be reborn in the West. And even if you bow to the Buddhas, you can't be reborn in the East. This is because you are dragged down by your temper and oppressed by your ignorance. Therefore, you should work hard in getting rid of your ignorance, your character flaws, your afflictions, and your temper. Only by working on these points can you be said to be truly working hard. We who are students of Buddhism should concentrate and focus our minds. We should have a goal. Our ultimate goal is to become Buddhas. In order to become Buddhas, we must first become good people. We have to lay down a good foundation. And how can we do this? By not contending, not being greedy, not seeking, not being selfish, not wanting personal profit, and not lying. This is the foundation for becoming a person, and it is also the foundation for becoming a Buddha. In order to become Buddhas, we must uphold the precepts. Not contending simply means refraining from killing. As soon as we contend, we are bound to kill. All the various aspects of killing, such as the causes, the conditions, the methods, and the karma of killing, are all due to contention. If you didn't contend, then you wouldn't kill either. That's talking about contention. As for greed, thoughts of greed are equivalent to stealing. Why do you steal? Because you're greedy. You wish to make the wealth and valuables of other people your own. If you cannot steal them, then you rob them by force. And if you cannot rob them, then you start killing. Countries go to war with other countries all because of fighting and greed. Families feud with other families because of fighting and greed. And people fight with people because of greed. Therefore, fighting and greed are the underground boss which causes us to kill. If you don't wish to kill, you must first fire this boss. That's fighting and greed. What about seeking? You chase after whatever you wish to attain. This is also because of greed. If you cannot obtain what you are greedy for, you try to seize it by force. You think of every possible way to pursue your goal. The most powerful form of seeking is men seeking after women and women seeking after men. It's said that those who are lovesick don't think about tea or food. They don't care about anything, not even eating. They forget about food and everything else in pursuit of their goal. That's seeking. As for not being selfish, it means not lying. If you don't tell lies, then you definitely aren't selfish. If you tell lies, you're simply being selfish. If you weren't selfish, why would you lie? You are lying because you want to benefit yourself. That's selfishness. As for wanting personal profit, of course you want to gain money for your own benefit. But the most important thing is drinking intoxicants. When you drink, you feel giddy and high-spirited, as if you were floating, and it's very pleasant. 
people who like to drink wine don't go into tea houses. They want to drink wine because they crave that kind of sensation. Otherwise, why would people who are dead drunk still want to drink more? It's because they feel very comfortable. They've forgotten heaven, they've forgotten earth, and they've forgotten people and everything else. They've forgotten others, and they have no self either. This is because they want to benefit themselves. For extra emphasis, not lying is added as the last one. If you can refrain from lying, then you won't contend as much. Your greed will be decreased, and you won't seek anything. And you'll want less personal profit. By not lying, you can avoid all of these other problems. That is why not lying is added for emphasis. This is the explanation of the six guidelines. If we were to explain them in depth, they would include everything that exists. No matter how they are explained, they would make sense. We have to train people to speak the Dharma. Not everyone knows how to speak at the beginning. People have to be trained gradually. We are just like elementary school students, and we get some practice in speaking the Dharma here. Although we only get a little bit of practice, we can expand our understanding. In speaking the Dharma, we should have an opening, a closing, a turning, and a returning. We should open up with the topic at the beginning and then bring it to a close. After closing it, we should turn our speech to another topic, and then bring it back to the original topic. This is known as the opening, closing, turning, and returning. These are an important key to making speeches, which we should know. We shouldn't just talk at random, giving a speech which has no main point and no real meaning. Pay attention to this point. No matter how long or how short our speeches. It has to be based on the facts. The Dharma we speak should be down to earth. Can anyone understand what we are saying? If we just talk at random, as if no one were listening, then although some people may understand, many others may not. When I was in China, I listened to the Dharma masters lecture on the sutras, but after hearing their lectures, I still didn't understand what they were saying. I was totally lost. After the lecture was over, people said, "Ah, that Dharma master gave a superb lecture. I didn't understand any of it." So you see, people couldn't understand the lecture, and yet they said it was excellent. This can be compared to inviting guests over for a meal. You have to actually give them some food to eat. What use is it if you merely read the menu to them? That is to say, you have to speak according to people's needs. Bestow the teaching which suits the individual. Prescribe the medicine which is appropriate for curing the sickness. The most important thing is that everyone in the audience can understand what you are saying. The educated people can understand, and uneducated people can also understand. The elderly can understand. Grown-ups can understand. And children can also understand. Men can understand, and so can women. Make your speech accessible to ordinary people, to the audience as a whole. Let your words enter your listeners' ears and flow into their hearts. 
then they will be able to put them into practice. That's what really counts. When you speak, you should use the techniques of lowering your voice, raising your voice, pausing and repeating. When you lower your voice, don't speak so softly that people can't hear. Just lower it a little bit so that people can still hear you. When you raise your voice, it's like making a gesture in front of you, causing everyone to look up. When you lower your voice, people tend to lower their eyes. And as for pausing, it doesn't mean that you should reach a crucial part of the speech and then hold back and refuse to go on. It doesn't mean that you pause for one or two hours. Rather, you just pause for a couple of seconds to make people wonder what principle is going to be talked about. Repeating is the technique which is similar to flattening something and rolling it into a ball. It causes everyone to experience an awakening. You should use these methods of lowering and raising your voice, pausing and repeating, as well as have an opening, closing, turning and returning to your speech. These are the secrets of public speech making. No matter who you are, if you know these secrets, then you will be able to draw the attention of the whole audience when you speak the Dharma. And even if you are scolding people, everyone is willing to listen because it's the right time for you to speak in that way. And if you tell a joke, people won't be annoyed either. Now we are all beginners who are just practicing, so each person should speak five minutes or no more than ten minutes. It's fine to speak less than ten minutes, but if you take more than ten minutes, then you're using up everyone else's time. Everyone is actually here waiting to listen to me, and they'll be upset and complain, you're rambling on and on, how annoying. And once you annoy people, you lose whatever merit and virtue you had. That is why everyone is restricted to speaking five to ten minutes, and whatever time is left, I will use. If you're afraid that I'll speak too long, and you're a disciple who wants to make it easier on his teacher, and you know how to speak well, then you can speak an extra five minutes. But you can't talk for more than fifteen minutes at most. If it's your first time speaking, then you shouldn't take more than five minutes. You should just be like a dragonfly touching the water, just touching it and no more. It's only to be feared that you don't know how to speak. If you know how to speak, then you'll have plenty of chances in the future. From now on, the bhikshus should decide in advance who will be speaking among them. And the bhikshunis should also decide upon a speaker among themselves. You can take turns and you can also ask newcomers to come up and speak. We will usually be taking turns, but if someone has just arrived from the city of 10,000 Buddhas or another way place, we can ask him or her to speak. He or she can be added to our list of speakers temporarily. The layman should also be responsible for getting a layman to speak, and the laywomen should arrange for a speaker from among themselves. That way, everything will work out smoothly. It won't be that when the time comes, no speakers show up. You will be looking at me and I'll be looking at you. We'll all just be looking at one another and we'll end up wasting a lot of time. So, 
Again, those who know how to speak can speak for ten minutes. Those who are beginners can speak for five minutes, because you are just practicing. No one knows how to speak when they first start out. Maybe a person is usually very talkative, but when he comes up to the front, he'll be speechless. This happens to many people. This is because they are awed by the solemn presence of the audience. They think to themselves. Oh, there's so many people here. This is too much for me, and they panic. They forget everything they were going to say. From now on, we should call on people who have been coming here for a while to speak. People who are new here shouldn't be called on to speak. And if the speaker is someone who is well known in society, we can announce his speech a week in advance. If no speaker has been arranged in advance. Then we should just choose someone from our own group. Right now, we have established the Wonderful Enlightenment Mountain Research Committee. In the future, we can also form the International Translation Institute Research Committee. Every place can have its own research group, and each group member should be investigated. We should examine what his or her good points and shortcomings are. These people comprise the assembly of the city of ten thousand Buddhas at Wonderful Enlightenment Mountain, and put together, the total number of people can probably add up to twelve hundred and fifty. When we support and protect the Way Place, we should bring forth a true heart. We should think, "I'm a Buddhist. If Buddhism doesn't flourish, then I haven't fulfilled my responsibility." I've got to do my duty and make a contribution to Buddhism. Since I exhaust my efforts for my family, I should also apply at least twenty percent of my efforts to Buddhism. Then I'll be satisfied. That's the way you should think. When all of you support the Triple Jewel, don't think, "Oh, I've done so many things for the Triple Jewel, and I haven't received any blessings in return." If you want blessings from the Triple Jewel in return for the good deeds that you've done, aren't you simply being greedy? Aren't you seeking? When you do good deeds, you should simply do them as your duty and not seek to get anything out of it. We have to speak the truth. If you don't bring forth a true heart, why would the Buddha protect you? And even if you do bring forth a true heart, the Buddha may not be moved. Why not? If the Buddha were moved, then the Buddha would also be greedy for bribes. Some Dharma masters say, "Oh, when I have problems, I just bow to Waito Bodhisattva, and then everything works out fine." Well, I don't think they're bowing to Waito Bodhisattva. They're actually bowing to the celestial demons and externalists. If Waito Bodhisattva waited until you bow to him to protect you. What kind of Waito Bodhisattva would he be? If he's supposed to protect you, then he should protect you even if you don't bow to him. And he should also protect you if you do bow to him. The Dharma-protecting spirits of Buddhism aren't greedy for people's red envelopes or offerings. They don't say, "If you give me a red envelope and offering, then I'll help you out. But if you don't give me an offering, then there's no deal." I have never made clothes for myself, nor have I ever asked anyone else to make clothing for me. This is true for all of my life.
And what is the reason? Well, I think if I have clothes, then I'll wear them. But if I don't have clothes, then I simply won't wear anything. I wouldn't be embarrassed. I'm not like all of you who dress up so nicely to impress others, because of your great attachment to the ego. I'm not like that. If my mind isn't pure, then no matter what kind of clean, pretty clothes I put on, it wouldn't look good. If my mind is pure and free of defilement, that's what really counts. You say, well, we can't tell if your mind is filthy or not. If you aren't afraid of violating the precept against killing, you can slit me open with a knife and see what's inside. No matter what we do, we just do it honestly, and we don't want to be phony. We don't want to cheat people. The straightforward mind is the way place. In speaking the Dharma, we should speak truthfully. Don't lecture on a sutra in such a rambling, roundabout way that no one can understand. I want to be a clean, pure monk, not a filthy one. You may say, "Well, I see that your clothes are rather unkempt, not too clean. How can you say you're not dirty?" I may be dirty outside, but I'm not dirty inside. That's the important thing. When we take refuge, who do we take refuge in? We take refuge in the sangha, the pure field of blessings. I am a person who has no money, and I don't do business either. Left-home people who do business are actually usurping the profits of lay people. If they want to do business, they shouldn't have left the home life. There's a verse which describes left-home people. It says, "The Shakyan disciples say they are poor. They are indeed poor in body, but not poor in the way. As to poverty, their bodies are ever wrapped in coarse rags. As to the way, a priceless jewel is stored in their hearts. A priceless jewel, its use is inexhaustible. For benefiting living beings." Responding to potentials always generously. Three bodies, four wisdoms are complete in substance. Eight liberations, six spiritual powers are in the mind ground seal. Superior people realize one thing and then understand everything. Middling and inferior people learn much yet doubt much. Simply cast off your own cherished dirty clothes. Who could go out and boast about his vigor? This passage from the Song of Enlightenment clearly implies that the poorer a cultivator is, the better. Cultivators don't want to give rise to affluence. In mainland China, they yell the slogan, "Poor people, turn around and rise to affluence." Yet the more they turn, the poorer they become, and the poorer they become, the more they try to turn. Until they have nothing left, they can't turn any more because they don't have the strength to do so. The city of the Dharma realm is a newly established wayplace. There is nothing that is not included in, and encompassed by the Dharma realm. There is nothing that it does not have. It has both the good and the bad in it. All the myriad things are included.
What is good is truly good, and what is evil is truly evil. Our goal is to become Buddhas. In order to do that, we must clean up ourselves, both inside and outside. We have to be clean and tidy internally and externally. In the Maxims for Managing the Household, it says, Rise early in the morning, sweep the courtyard. In China, the floors are made of dirt, and in the morning it's dusty, so you have to sprinkle water on the ground and then sweep it clean. When we clean our mind and body, we must wash them both inside and out. We shouldn't just decorate them outside, but keep a toilet inside. No matter how well you decorate the outside, the inside is filthy. What kind of filth is there? There's jealousy, obstructiveness, ignorance, afflictions, emotions, and desires. Those are the filthiest things. If you don't clean out emotions and desires, there's no way you can cultivate. So you should pay attention to this. The Buddha hall should be clean and tidy, and the kitchen is just as important as the Buddha hall. The kitchen is the foundation of our life, a source of our living. Without a kitchen, we wouldn't be able to survive. So we have to keep the kitchen neat and clean. The vegetables have to be washed clean, and the tables, pots and pans, dishes and utensils should also be washed clean. Everything should be neatly arranged and put in the right place. And at all times, we must pay attention to sanitation and hygiene. We shouldn't serve food which is unclean. If people are food poisoned, then we have created offenses. So the workers in the kitchen are actually practicing the Bodhisattva way. They have to cook food which causes people to bring forth the Bodhi resolve when they eat it. You shouldn't be working on the one hand and losing your temper on the other, because then people will get sick when they eat the food that you cook. This is very important. When we leave the home life to cultivate the way, the most important thing is to learn how to be good people. That is, we must treat ourselves and others equally. We should not be selfish and just want to benefit ourselves, treating ourselves well but being mean to others. We are usually very smart when it comes to criticizing others, but we're very stupid and slow when it comes to being lenient with ourselves. The ancients said, Although a person may be a total fool, he is clever when it comes to criticizing others. He is muddled in pardoning himself. That means, no matter how stupid a person is, he is very clear about the faults of others. But when he himself makes a mistake, he will forgive himself and think, Oh, it doesn't matter, I shouldn't worry. He always makes excuses for himself. But one who does this is actually very stupid. If you are intelligent, then you will use the mind which criticizes others and criticize yourself instead. You will also use the mind which forgives yourself to forgive others. In this way, how can you worry that you will not reach sagehood? If you can act like this, you will certainly become a sage very soon in the future. So. 
This is to say that people are always looking at the faults of others, but they never see their own faults. People are just like the crow who lands on the back of the pig, and sees that the pig is black, but doesn't know that he himself is black. Before a cultivator can become a Buddha, he must first learn to become a good person. How could a bad person become a Buddha? So this is the basic requirement for becoming a Buddha, and we should know it very well. The first requirement is not to contend. Not contending means not killing. The second is not being greedy. That means that we don't steal. Why would you steal? It's because you're greedy. Not seeking means that we don't engage in sexual misconduct. Generally, men chase after women, and women chase after men, forgetting everything else. Their only thought is to pursue a mate. That's a defiled thought, and it goes against the pure precepts. So we shouldn't seek, which means we shouldn't engage in sexual misconduct. Not being selfish means that we shouldn't lie. Why would someone lie? Because he is being selfish and wants to protect himself. That's why people lie. Not benefiting the self means we don't take intoxicants. People who drink wine or beer or other intoxicants get into a giddy, light-headed state and feel that they've gone to the land of ultimate bliss. The reason they drink is because they enjoy this kind of state. Not being selfish means not taking intoxicants. And who is the accomplice for these five offenses? It is lying. Once you lie, you have violated a major precept. So the six guidelines of not contending, not being greedy, not seeking, not being selfish, not benefiting oneself, and not lying, are equivalent to the five precepts of not killing, not stealing. Not engaging in sexual misconduct, not lying, and not taking intoxicants. Although the names are different, they are a variation on the five precepts. Because people are all tired of hearing about the precepts, so we tell them: Do not contend, do not be greedy, do not seek, do not be selfish, do not benefit oneself, and do not lie. And it sounds fresh to them, but it's also very familiar. It's something that everyone understands, but very few can practice. We also say that one should do no evil and practice all good deeds. Doing no evil means not engaging in sexual misconduct. Practicing all good deeds means cultivating purity. It doesn't go beyond these two things. Why? Because it is said that lust is the foremost of all evils. It is a road to death which one should not take. If you engage in lust, then you are asking for your death. If you want to be free of sickness and not die too soon, then you have to cultivate purity. Keep cultivating it until you attain Buddhahood, and use the six guidelines as your foundation. So we should not look lightly on the six guidelines. At all times, in every thought. We should truly practice them, and not merely talk about them. Moreover, now that we have left the home life, we must constantly hang the words "birth" and "death" upon our eyebrows, in front of our eyes. 
When we open our eyes, we should see the word death. When we close our eyes, we should also see the word death. When we see someone else die, we may think that it has nothing to do with us. There is a verse which says, "If I see someone else die, my heart burns like fire. It's not burning for him, but it's because I know that it will soon be my turn." Now that we have left the home life to cultivate the way, we cannot forget death. We shouldn't forget that one day we will also die. No one can stand in for us. When our life is up, we have to say goodbye to everyone. And although it's very painful to leave those whom we love, we still have to go. So we suffer from not getting what we wish for, but we still keep seeking. We have to see through things and put them down before we can be liberated. Don't cling to all kinds of things. For example, parents are always thinking about their children, but children don't necessarily think about their parents. This is very strange, especially in America. People don't take care of their parents when they get old. The parents are sent to the home for the old folks, and if they want to see their children, they have to buy them airplane tickets or train tickets or bus tickets for the children to come and see them. Life is just a dream, so don't take it too seriously. Everything, absolutely everything, is false and impermanent. The only real thing is cultivation. We should realize that everything else is false and let those things go. We should recognize what is real and take it up. Cultivators must always examine themselves. At all times and all places, we must not be wasteful with the money that is donated. Perhaps we think that we can order the lay people around and ask them to do things for us, but we should remember that the money they donate does not come easily. Even the smallest thing takes money to produce. Even a single grain of rice is not easily produced. The farmer. Plants and hoes the field at midday, and his sweat falls into the field. Who realizes that each grain of rice in the bowl comes from very bitter toil? At noon, the sun blazes very hot, and the farmer's sweat drips on the ground. All the rice, the vegetables, and the food in our plate comes through hard work. So we mustn't waste the donor's money and ask them to buy us whatever we want. If we don't have the virtue to accept it, then we will be in debt to them. If we spend too much, it will be very hard to repay the debt. So, left-home people should not waste money and resources. We should be thrifty with everything. That's the proper attitude that left-home people should have. We shouldn't carelessly use and waste the wealth and materials of lay people. In the very beginning, at Gold Mountain Monastery, we only ate vegetables that had been discarded by other people. We would pick them up and bring them back and wash them to eat. Now, at the city of the Dharma Realm and at the city of Ten Thousand Buddhas, everyone is enjoying good food and good accommodations, and you all have everything you need. It is not like in the past, 
when we had to go without rice or without vegetables for days at a time. So all of you must have blessings, but you shouldn't use up your blessings, or soon you won't have any left. As it is said, to endure suffering is to end suffering. To enjoy blessings is to use up blessings. Everyone should pay attention to this. In our every move and every word, we should examine ourselves, and we shouldn't just make a lot of mistakes in cause and effect. In the future, each person should concentrate on studying one sutra. Those with higher education, those who have earned PhDs, should study the Flower Adornment Sutra, the Avatamsaka Sutra. Those who have earned master's degrees should study the Sharangama Sutra, and those with bachelor's degrees should study the Dharma Flower Sutra. College graduates should study these sutras very well and be able to recite them from memory. You should study them just as if you were studying in school. You can pick a time to do your own studying every day. Even if you haven't graduated from college, you can still study these three sutras. You can also study the Vajra Sutra, the Earth Store Sutra, the Six Patriarch Sutra, and the Brahmanet Sutra. Each person should concentrate on studying one sutra. Not only should you be able to recite it from memory, you should also know how to lecture on it. At any time and any place, you should be able to lecture on it without having to look at the text. That's how well you should learn it. In the future, I'm going to establish centers for the five schools of Buddhism. Those who like to practice Chan meditation will be able to meditate all day long without rest. They will be able to do sitting meditation and walking meditation. Those who like to investigate the doctrines will be in a place where they can study how to lecture on the sutras and speak the Dharma every day. They will have to master the teachings until their samadhi and their wisdom are full and perfect. Those who like to study the precepts will be able to concentrate on studying the precepts, the Vinaya. Before the Buddha entered Nirvana, the Venerable Ananda asked the Buddha about four matters. One of his questions was, When the Buddha is in the world, we take the Buddha as our teacher. After the Buddha enters Nirvana, who shall we take as our teacher? And the Buddha told his disciples, After I enter Nirvana, you should take the precepts as your teacher. So you should uphold the precepts and also investigate and study them and understand them. The precepts are the teacher for all left-home people. That is the answer that the Buddha gave Ananda. So those who want to study the precepts should study them exclusively from morning to night. I will prepare a way place for you to study the precepts. The four great comportments of walking, standing, sitting and reclining are very important. You have to observe the rules of deportment in every move and not violate the precepts. Those who wish to study the dharmas of the secret school will be able to go to a way place to study those dharmas exclusively. And if you like to recite the Buddha's name, 
then you will be able to recite continuously all day long, except when you are eating and sleeping. You can recite continuously without rest, without a break, and you will exclusively cultivate the pure land Dharmador. Once the way places for the five schools are established, you will be able to choose whichever school you would like to cultivate. So, left-home people should take care not to waste your time. The Avatamsaka Sutra talks about opening, demonstrating, awakening to, and entering the Buddha's knowledge and vision. You come to have the same wisdom and views as the Buddha. In China, there is a group of people who have studied my simple commentaries on the sutras. They read the commentaries of other people, but found that they were too literary and difficult to understand. So then they read mine and found them easy to understand. They studied all six volumes of my instructional talks, and now over twenty of them have attained the spiritual power of the heavenly eye, the power of the heavenly ear, and also the knowledge of past lives. They can contemplate people's causes and effects and know their past and future. They can know how you were in the past and what you will be like in the future. These people concentrated on studying the instructional talks, and because of their sincerity, they obtained these spiritual powers. In the near future, they will be coming to the city of ten thousand Buddhas and also to the city of the Dharma realm. These are my old friends, and they're finally coming back. I'm telling you about them now. If you don't increase your vigor and effort to cultivate and study the Buddha Dharma, just think: these people haven't even left the home life. They are lay people, and they have already achieved so much. You left-home people have really fallen behind, and that's a pity. That's all I want to say today. In the future, I will be coming here unexpectedly to make inspections. You won't know when I will be coming, and you won't know it when I go. When I leave, you can be more casual, but when I come, I will be checking to see how you are doing in your cultivation. I am constantly putting you to the test. I am always watching to see who is truly cultivating, and who is a real disciple of the Buddha. You should always respect the triple jewel, as if the triple jewel were right in front of you. It's a mistake to think that the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha are only names that don't really exist. You must have real and serious faith. The Buddha Dharma is like the great sea; only with faith can you enter it. Without faith, you can't enter the sea of the Buddha Dharma. Faith, understanding, practice, and certification are the four stages. The first is faith. Faith is the source of the way and the mother of merit and virtue. It nurtures all good roots. If your faith is not solid, then you cannot grow good roots. After having faith, you must understand, and then you must practice. Only then can you certify to Buddhahood. So you must have faith, understanding, practice, and certification. Then you will be able to open. Demonstrate, awaken to, and enter the Buddha's knowledge and vision. You must have faith and understanding before you can practice and be certified. So my instructional talks are called 
talks which open and demonstrate the Buddha's knowledge and vision. Opening, demonstrating, awakening to, and entering the Buddha's knowledge and vision are the four stages mentioned in the Lotus Sutra. These four stages are very similar to the four steps of faith, understanding, practice, and certification. Although the names are different, the principles are the same. In studying the Buddha Dharma, we have to be able to gain an overall understanding that penetrates to the truth. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Father Rogers and to this group of students who have come to study the Buddha Dharma and interact with us. This is a mutual learning experience, and it goes both ways. You students have come to study the Buddha Dharma, and we Buddhists should also investigate the Christian and Catholic teachings. So we are learning the good points from one another to make up for our own shortcomings. All students of religion should follow this path. Now, in the space age, people have traveled to the heavens, but the people on Earth are still dreaming, each thinking that he himself is right. So we discriminate between different factions and different parties. This is all a sort of attachment. Actually, I don't have any fixed religion. I don't say that I believe in a certain religion. I will believe in any religion that has true principles in it. If the religion doesn't have true principles, then I won't believe in it. Throughout the history of China, no Buddhist organization has ever invited a Catholic father to hold mass, or a Christian minister to perform Christian rituals. Or the clergy of any other religion to perform their own rituals. Buddhism has always done its own thing, without accepting the doctrines of other religions. This is too narrow-minded. People are the same as heaven and earth. Heaven is a great heaven, and each person is a small heaven. Heaven, earth, and people are called the three powers. People are the most efficacious of all creatures. People are able to learn all the myriad things. Therefore, we shouldn't be narrow-minded and petty. We shouldn't think that our own religion is the only religion there is, and fail to respect other religions. That would be a great mistake. So, at the city of ten thousand Buddhas, we welcome the people of all religions to come here. So that we can learn and study together, and work hard to advance forward. There are no discriminations between factions and parties here. We are all people, and all people should advance. We shouldn't become attached to a certain stage, and fail to make progress. We must understand one another and mutually support one another. It shouldn't be that we only know our own religion, and don't know the teachings of other religions. So this is one difference between the city of ten thousand Buddhas and other Buddhist organizations. Throughout the history of China, 
Buddhism has never exchanged views or held dialogues with other religions. Now, it is my hope that all religions can unite together and everyone can work cooperatively to teach the world's people to reform their faults and go towards the good, to follow what is wholesome and change what is unwholesome. I hope that everyone will be able to recover his original wisdom and virtue. This is my intent, and this is what I am telling everyone. Now all of you must decide whether it is reasonable. If everyone thinks this is a good idea, then we can go ahead and do it. And even if you don't think it's good, I still think it's right, and I will do it, even if other people don't follow me. For the past 15 or 16 years, Father Rogers has brought students here to investigate the Buddha Dharma, and we have exchanged wisdom. We have also had the chance to learn the spirit of Catholicism and Christianity. We learn wisdom from one another, and we don't discriminate between religions, races, or nationalities nor do we make distinctions between ourselves and others. We are all here to investigate the truth. If we can discover the truth, then we will be on the right track. Father Rogers has been coming once a year, probably because he felt that religious leaders should unite and not discriminate between religions. Only then can we reduce the disasters such as wars, floods, fires, hurricanes, earthquakes, and avalanches in the world. When everyone comes to believe in the truth, there will not be any more wars in the world. In Buddhism, the most important thing is to hold the five precepts. The first precept is no killing. The five precepts correspond to the six guidelines. The first guideline, not contending, simply means not killing. If you contend, then you will kill. Therefore, we start by not contending or arguing with anyone. Everyone should mutually respect and care for one another. Then there won't be so many disasters in the world. So I am inviting people of all religions to come to the city of 10,000 Buddhas to cultivate together and to investigate the truth. That's one of the goals of the City of 10,000 Buddhas. The first guideline is not contending, which corresponds to the precept of not killing. The second guideline is not being greedy, which corresponds to the precept of not stealing. Why would we steal? Because of greed. Out of greed, we will steal and rob to get what doesn't belong to us. Not being greedy means not being greedy for anything which shouldn't come to us. The third guideline is not seeking. Whatever we are meant to obtain will naturally come to us. There's no need to seek for it outside. We shouldn't use improper methods to obtain anything. As it is said, lust is the foremost of all evils. Don't take this road to death. If you have immoral, lustful thoughts, then you are walking on the road to your death. So we should 
Avoid entertaining immoral thoughts, delusive thoughts, or thoughts of lust. Lust causes people to go crazy and insane. Not seeking means not seeking after lust. The fifth guideline is not being selfish. That means not telling lies. If you tell lies, you're being selfish. Why do you want to deceive people? It's because your selfishness is acting up. The sixth guideline is not wanting to benefit oneself. You shouldn't just be thinking of your own benefit and not care about others. This corresponds to the precept of not taking intoxicants. When you drink wine, smoke, enjoy good food, or take drugs, you are considered to be taking intoxicants. Why do you want to take drugs or smoke or drink? It's because you want to benefit yourself, to give yourself a high, as if you've gone to the heavens or the land of ultimate bliss. If you didn't want to benefit yourself, you wouldn't take drugs or drink wine or smoke or want good things to eat. Of the five precepts which prohibit killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, Lying and taking intoxicants. Lying is the accomplice for all of them. If you have committed murder and someone asks you what you did, you won't confess it. If you have stolen something, you won't admit to stealing it, so you lie. If you engage in lust, you won't tell the truth about that either. And if you tell lies or take intoxicants, you try to cover it the same way. Why do you drink wine? Why do you smoke? You say, I don't smoke. It's very obvious that you smoke, but you deny it. Do you take drugs? Clearly you do, but you say that you don't. People smell the reek of liquor on you, and ask if you've been drinking, but you say you haven't. Actually, you can't fool people. If you smoke, the smell of the smoke stays on you. And even if you say that you don't smoke, other people will know. If you drink, you will reek of wine, and if you take drugs, the smell of the drugs will stay with you. So you can't fool people. Nevertheless, you try to fool people and lie to them. Even people who are usually very honest will tell such lies. So the sixth guideline is added for emphasis: no lying. These are the six guidelines of the City of Ten Thousand Buddhas. Although everyone understands them, very few are able to put them into practice. All fellow cultivators, in studying, you must be concentrated. If you can't concentrate, then you won't do well in your studies. If you can concentrate your mind, then no matter how stupid you are, you can do well in your studies. As it is said, there is nothing difficult in the world. The only thing to be feared is that your mind cannot concentrate. If your mind is concentrated, then it is efficacious. But if it's scattered, then it's useless. When studying, there are three paths: your eyes see a word, your mouth reads it, and your mind reflects upon it. The eyes, mouth, and mind are the three paths of study. 
There are also three places of study. First, you can review your studies on the road. Second, while lying in bed before you go to sleep, you can review and recite the books you have memorized. Third is in the toilet. People usually have lots of idle thoughts, but when they go to the toilet, they don't have as many. So it's a good time to review and recite your studies. Then you won't think about extraneous matters. The first place is on the road. Whether you are walking or riding in a car, you can review your books. Second is on the pillow. When you're falling asleep, it's easy to have lots of idle thoughts. Instead of indulging in all those random thoughts, you can concentrate and recite the books you have memorized. Then you won't forget them as easily. And when you're in the toilet, you can also recite your books. No matter how dull or how smart you are, if you can always devote yourself to your studies in this way, you will definitely be successful. This is the method that I, a very stupid person, used when I was studying. All of you students probably have a lot more wisdom than me. But I thought I would tell you about my method. If you are intelligent, then by using this method, you can improve your memory and become even more intelligent. Don't be afraid and think that this method is very stupid and illogical. This method just tells us that in studying, we must be concentrated. This is the method I used in the past. So I thought I would share it with all of my fellow students. If you think it can be useful, then you may try it out. If you don't think it's useful, then just forget about it. But it is my sincere wish to tell all of you students some true words. All good and wise advisers, today we are gathered here for lunch, and on this occasion, the Burlingame Mayor has come to say a few words. Also, our Chairman of the County Board of Supervisors has also spoken to us. It is the light of God, the light of the Buddha, and the light of every one of us here, which makes it possible for us to gather here together. This is a very special and rare opportunity in our lives. So we shouldn't forget the things that we have seen and heard today. We should remember them and tell them to all our friends and relatives. We should encourage them not to let their children take drugs or smuggle contraband or sell drugs or disrupt the order of society. This is very important. No matter which country we live in, we should help our country to become peaceful and happy. In Buddhism, we must see all other religions as the same. We shouldn't discriminate and say, this is Catholicism, that is Christianity, and that is Judaism. We shouldn't discriminate between this and that. It is now the space age. And people have already gone to the moon and the other planets. If we continue to be so narrow-minded, then we've really fallen behind the times. 
we should regard all people as our own family. We ourselves want to be happy, and we also want everyone else to be happy. We ourselves want to be comfortable, and we also want everyone else to be comfortable. This is the spirit of great unity. We shouldn't be so caught up in discriminating between ourselves and others, between our own rights and others' wrongs. We shouldn't be so narrow-minded that our wisdom cannot develop. We should use all our wisdom to do things, and we shouldn't use ignorance when we act. We must try our best to help the world to walk on a path towards peace and light. Don't think only of yourself. We should all try to refrain from contending, from being greedy, from seeking for things, from being selfish, from wanting to benefit ourselves, and from lying. And if each and every one of us can be this way, then the world will be free of wars, robberies, and violence. Thoughts of fighting and greed have turned us upside down. If everyone can get rid of thoughts of fighting and greed, then there will be peace in the world. So no matter what position we hold, we should carry out our duties and fulfill our responsibilities. Then we will be benefiting the country as well as ourselves. I won't say too much today. If we understand, then we should practice it. If we don't understand, then we should try our best to learn. I wish everyone good health and a long life, and I hope we will all bring forth great wisdom and quickly accomplish Buddhahood. Intelligence is helped by secret good deeds. Good deeds done in secret lead you on the path to intelligence. If you don't practice secret good deeds, but rely only on your intelligence, your intelligence will outsmart you. This is a verse by the ancients. It talks about the connection between intelligence and secret good deeds. The first line says. Intelligence is helped by secret good deeds. Why are we intelligent now? It's because in the past we did some true good deeds without letting people know about it. As it is said, if you do good deeds hoping people will see you, that is not real goodness. If you do bad deeds and fear people will find out about them, that is great evil. What is meant by secret good deeds? It means you help others and relieve their suffering, but you don't let anyone know that you're doing it. Then you are truly doing a good deed. When we alleviate the pain and suffering of living beings, that is known as doing goodness in secret. We alleviate their suffering and resolve the difficulties and calamities. We cause all the unfortunate things to disappear, and the auspicious things to happen. That is also called secret goodness. If you do a good deed and publicize it, telling everyone what you've done, that is not true goodness. You are just fishing for fame and profit. You expect to gain something, and you're not being sincere. It is our basic duty as people to do good deeds. Each and every person should do good deeds. 
However, we have forgotten our responsibility, and we don't want to do good deeds. When we do even the smallest good deed, we want to publicize it, and we feel very pleased with ourselves. We are nothing but an evil one among the good, a thief among the virtuous. We are simply fishing for fame and going along with the worldly crowd. We have no principles, and we are a thief among the virtuous. So when we do good deeds, we should just treat it as our responsibility, and we shouldn't feel smug. If you do good deeds, hoping people will see you, that is not true goodness. If you do bad deeds and fear people will find out about them, that is great evil. When you do bad deeds, you are afraid people will know that you've done them. Why? Because you've done something sneaky and underhanded, not out in the open. For example, if a person commits murder, he's afraid of being punished by law, so he doesn't confess. He uses all kinds of methods to cover himself. And he doesn't admit his crime. That is great evil. If a person steals something and doesn't tell anyone else, that is also great evil. In general, if you do something against the law, something underhanded and not out in the open, that is evil. And if you're afraid people will find it, then that is great evil. So it is said. Intelligence is helped by secret good deeds. Why are you intelligent now? Because in your past life you created some merit and virtue. You did some truly good deeds. As a result, your mind is generous, and your body is healthy, and you are intelligent. For example, if you print and distribute sutras, causing people who read them to reform their faults and become good. And to realize that they should return to the source and search for the truth of human life, then you have done something of merit and virtue. You have caused people to reform and renew themselves, to refrain from evil, and to practice all good. These are all good deeds done in secret, that you do without people noticing. You work quietly and toil with diligence, and so in this life. You are intelligent. The good deeds that you did in secret have helped you to become intelligent. Good deeds done in secret lead you on the path to intelligence. Since you did meritorious work without letting people know about it, this fostered your intelligence. For example, if you print sutras, ignorant people will be able to read them and become wise. Since you help others to gain wisdom, your own reward is to become intelligent. If you cause others to become stupid, then in the future you will also receive the retribution of being stupid yourself. If you don't practice secret good deeds, but only rely on your intelligence—that is, if you rely on your ghostly cleverness and your smart bugs. And you use your intelligence to cheat others. Then, not only is your intelligence useless, it's actually harmful, because you don't know how to use your intelligence well. Instead of continuing to do good deeds in secret, you use your intelligence to gain fame and benefit. 
you are a very smooth talker and you deceive people with your words. Then your intelligence will outsmart you. It is said, without cleverness, one could not become a treacherous official. For example, in China, the general Cao Cao was extremely clever, as smart as a ghost. The emperor Yao was also as wise as a spirit. Spirits know everything, and so did Emperor Yao. He had great wisdom. In China, Emperor Yao was the first emperor who passed the throne and the kingdom to a sage, to the great Shun. Why did he do this? Because he felt that great Shun was a very filial person. By entrusting the kingdom to a greatly filial person, he knew that the people would receive this person's protection and enjoy blessings. And so Emperor Yao yielded the entire kingdom to Great Shun. The two emperors are called Tang and Youyu because Great Shun came from the clan of Youyu and Yao came from the clan of Tao Tang. Yao and Shun are the two emperors who yielded the kingdom to sages. And so at that time, the world was in its golden age. Emperor Yao yielded the throne to Great Shun, and later Shun passed it on to Emperor Yu. After that, Yu passed the throne to his son. If you look at the history of China, Emperor Yao was the only one who yielded the throne in this way to Emperor Shun. He is a good model for all of us. Why was he able to yield it? because he wasn't selfish, and also his own son was unfilial and not fit to rule the country. Because he saw that his own son couldn't rule the country, he went out looking for a worthy successor. He sought out the great Shun. Before he saw the great Shun, he went to search for the hermits Cao Fu and Xu You, hoping to give the kingdom to them. These two hermits were very pure and exalted. When Xu Yu heard the emperor's request, he immediately went to the river to wash out his ears. Cao Fu asked him why he was doing that, and Xu Yu said, Well, Emperor Yao wants to give the kingdom to me, and hearing that request made my ears dirty. Now, if someone were to offer the kingdom to us, that's something that would be beyond our wildest dreams. But... That ancient man of pure integrity didn't even want the kingdom when it was offered to him. He went to the river to wash out his ears, and his friend who was watering his ox at the river said, Well, if you're washing out your dirty ears here, then I can't let my ox drink this dirty water. And he moved upstream. See how pure and incorruptible the ancients were. We people nowadays are very greedy and insatiable. When we can't obtain what we want, we lose our temper, and then we do some stupid things. That is greed, anger, and stupidity at work. We who are students of Buddhism should truly understand the principles and not be muddled. We shouldn't crave small bargains. We should be willing to take great losses and not crave petty gains. If you can put down worldly affairs, you will naturally accomplish your work in the Buddha land. So if we wish to be intelligent, we should do more good deeds in secret. 
If we don't want to be intelligent, then we should just act like pigs who eat their fill and then fall asleep, and then wake up and eat again. Just be irresponsible and don't fulfill your duties. Just procrastinate and don't be serious. Then you'll end up as dumb as a pig. So, if we wish to ascend to a higher level and become superior people, then we should perform good deeds in secret. If we want to fall, then we can chase after fame and profit, and advertise ourselves. The more we advertise, the lower we fall in life after life, and we end up stupid. This is the law of heaven. So, as human beings, we must select what is good and follow it. Take what is bad and change it. If it is the way, we should go forward vigorously. If it is not the way, then we shouldn't walk upon it. We must fulfill our obligations as people, and clearly recognize the principles of cause and effect. We shouldn't fail to carry out our duties. We should do our job properly. If we procrastinate. Then our retribution will also be that way. Whatever cause we plant, we will receive a corresponding fruition. Therefore, we should warn ourselves not to be careless in our conduct as people. If we are careless, then in each life, each life will be worse than the last. In the future, not to mention not becoming Buddhas, it will be hard. For us to even become ghosts, the path of human life is such that if you don't ascend, then you have to descend. Those who do good and practice meritorious deeds will ascend, while those who commit offenses will fall to become animals, hungry ghosts, and hell beings. It's not fixed. You might even become some sort of tiny animal. None of it is fixed. It all depends on what kind of causes you plant, and you will receive the corresponding retribution. So, Buddhists who understand the law of cause and effect should not make mistakes regarding cause and effect. Don't lie and cheat. Don't refuse to admit your own mistakes. If you don't admit them, then you will fall in the future. And if you tell lies, then your future retribution will be very devastating. Dharma transmission verses of the seven Buddhas are very important. I feel, so I'd like to talk about them. Each one of these verses tells us that the body and the mind are unreal, and that we shouldn't take them too seriously. The body is a temporary combination of the four elements, and the mind is formless and intangible. So we shouldn't take the false to be real, and cling to our bodies and minds. We shouldn't always be wanting to gain advantages, and we shouldn't want to avoid taking losses. Actually, the body has harmed us and caused us to create limitless offenses in life after life. However, if we can understand how we came to be a person, then our offenses basically don't exist. Offenses are nothing to begin with. But because of our attachments, we become deluded, 
then we create karma and finally we undergo the retribution. If we didn't become deluded, then we wouldn't create karma. Being deluded means having ignorance and lacking understanding. Since we don't understand the situation, we create karma, and then we have to undergo the retribution. Once we do understand, we won't create karma anymore, or have to take the retribution. The first verse of Dharma transmission is that of Vipassian Buddha. And how does it go? It says, The body is born from what has no appearance. Where does this body come from? It has no appearance, no real substance. The four elements come together to form the body. So, that's why it said, The body is born from what has no appearance. It was born just like that. Just as the myriad phenomena are created from illusions. It's just like a magician conjuring up something from nothing. Is this conjured up object real? No, it's false. The body is also this way. All phenomena are transformed and created from what is false and illusory. So this body isn't real. Since it's not real, why is it that when people scold you, you can't take it? When someone beats you, you can't endure it. But when people praise you, you are extremely happy. And when they slander you, you get mad. Why are you this way? Has the false covered up and obscured what is true? Basically, you have nothing. So where can the dust alight? Why do you have so many vexations? You bring these vexations on yourself. When someone scolds you, why don't you just treat it as a song? Just think, oh, he's speaking Japanese, I can't understand. Or, oh, he's speaking Spanish or Portuguese, I don't know what he's saying. If he scolds you, but you don't scold him back, then where is the scolding? If he scolds you, why don't you just treat it as music? Don't become angry. And if someone hits you, just pretend that you bumped into the door. If it hurts, who are you going to hit? If you hit the door back, you'll just hurt your hand. And if you don't hit it, then nothing is the matter. You'll be hurt for a little while, but that's nothing. The next line. The mind and consciousness of an illusory person basically don't exist. An illusory person has no mind no consciousness, and no awareness. Offenses and blessings are both empty, abiding nowhere. What are offenses? What are blessings? Don't cling to them. You cling to your body and cling to your mind, but this is a great mistake. If you didn't cling to them, how free and wonderful it would be. You wouldn't be tied up by them. So this has been the Dharma Transmission verse of Vipassan Buddha, which tells us to realize that the body and mind are basically false and illusory. The Dharma Transmission verse of Shikin Buddha is even more simple. It says, All the wholesome dharmas we create are basically illusory. Do you think that the good deeds you do are real? Good deeds are also false. Don't cling to them. They're basically illusory. All the evil deeds we commit are also illusory. 
all that evil karma that we create is also false and unreal, with no reality or appearance. The body is like a clump of foam. The body is also false. It's like foam bubbles in the sea. You see a bubble, but it disappears when you touch it. The body is like the wind. The body is just like the wind blowing by. They are illusory transformations with no root and no reality. They have no root. You can't find their root. What is the root of the mind? What is the root of the body? You can't find them. There's nothing there. No real substance. All good and wise advisors, we all want to understand the teachings of Buddhism. In order to do that, we must first understand the Buddha. In his past lives, the Buddha cultivated blessings and wisdom for three limitless eons, and planted the causes for his hallmarks and features for a hundred eons. After a long, long time of cultivating various practices, he became a Buddha. The word Buddha is Sanskrit, but in Chinese it sounds like the words "not big," Buddha. So the Buddha isn't bigger than people, nor is he smaller than people. Neither big nor small. That's the Buddha. Not big means he doesn't have any arrogance. Not small means he doesn't have an inferiority complex. He doesn't give up on himself or think that he's not worth anything. He doesn't have that kind of attitude. He is neither higher than living beings nor lower than living beings. That's why he's called the Buddha. What is the meaning of Buddha? We study the Buddha, we believe in the Buddha, and we recite the Buddha's name. But we don't know what the word Buddha means. Isn't this a pity? The word Buddha has three meanings: one who is self-enlightened. One who enlightens others, and one who is perfect in enlightenment and conduct. He has completed these three kinds of enlightenment. He himself is enlightened. He has taught living beings to become enlightened. And when he perfects his own enlightenment and the enlightenment of others, that is called the perfection of enlightenment and conduct. So he realizes Buddhahood. The Buddha is perfect in the three kinds of enlightenment, and replete with the myriad virtues. One who is self-enlightened belongs to the two vehicles, while one who enlightens others is walking the Bodhisattva way. One who perfects the enlightenment and conduct has perfected both self-enlightenment and the enlightenment of others, and he is a Buddha replete with the myriad virtues. The Buddha has perfected the three kinds of enlightenment. He certifies to the wisdom of the Great Perfect Mirror, to the wisdom of equal nature, and to the wisdom of wonderful contemplation, and the wisdom of accomplishment. He has these four kinds of wisdom. The Buddha has great wisdom, and he completely understands all transcendental and all worldly dharmas. After he became a Buddha. He wanted everyone else to become a Buddha as well, 
so he spoke the teachings. The Buddha's teachings are comprised of the three treasuries and the twelve divisions of the canon. The three treasuries are the sutras, the vinya, and the shastras. The twelve divisions of the canon are prose, verses, predictions, isolated incidents, unrequested teachings, causes and conditions, analogies, past lives, the lives of disciples, extensive teachings, and commentarial literature. The twelve divisions are not referring to different sutras. Each sutra includes these twelve divisions. When we study Buddhism, we must study the sutras. The sutras are a path to Buddhahood. If we want to become Buddhas, we must follow the path of cultivation. So that's why the Buddha spoke the sutras, which comprise Buddhism. Today our topic is psychology. Psychology, the study of the mind, is infinite and inexhaustible. It has neither excess nor deficiency. The mind encompasses all of space and pervades worlds as many as grains of sand. That's the functioning of the mind. However, we must realize that the mind's function is both vast and subtle, and we must first examine and study its fine details. If we don't understand the fine details, we won't be able to understand the vast and subtle principles. Therefore, we must first understand that the mental state creates a karmic response. Whatever mental state you have, you receive that kind of retribution. If you plant a good seed, you'll receive a good fruit. If you plant a bad seed, you'll get a bad fruit. What is a good seed? It's a good thought. If you have a bad thought, that's a bad seed. The ancients described the Chinese character for mind, Xing, as three dots like a constellation, a cook like the crescent moon, those with fur and horns arise from this, and Buddhas come from here too. This is all in the mind. If you plant bad causes, you'll fall into the lower realms. When you become a Buddha, that also starts with the mind. So we talk about giving rise to delusion, creating karma, and undergoing retribution. With one thought of ignorance, we commit all kinds of karma. With one thought of wisdom, we can eradicate all kinds of karma. It is all part of the functioning of the mind. So the ancients said, Those with fur and horns arise from this, and Buddhas come from this too. It all comes from the mind. In the Flower Adornment Sutra, it says, If you want to understand all Buddhas of the past, present, and future, Contemplate the nature of the Dharma realm. Everything is made from mind alone. All the states and the myriad phenomena are produced from the mind. When the mind is born, all dharmas come into being. When the mind dies, all dharmas are extinguished. The ancients also said, My mind is laughable. It is dull and untaught. It doesn't recognize or know anything has no thought and no cognition. If you can be without knowledge and without thought, then at that point, the path of language is cut off 
and the place of the mind's activities is gone. At that point you are about to see your original face, the scenery of your native land, your inherent treasure. If people ask what you can do, well, you don't know how to do anything. And it is also said, if you can cultivate to the point of great stupidity, that is true cleverness. If you can learn to be like a fool, then you will start to see what is rare. If you can reach the state of not knowing anything or thinking about anything, then you may want to speak, but there are no words. You may want to think, but there are no thoughts. At this point, you have no mark of self, no mark of others, no mark of living beings, and no mark of a lifespan. You have swept away all dharmas and left behind all appearances. If you can reach the state of having no awareness and no thought, no capability, then the good news will arrive. But people all tend to use their smart bugs. They think that they can do what they cannot. They think they know what they really don't know. We are always trying to be talented and outstanding, but actually we just fall behind. If we can seek within ourselves and break through ignorance to reveal the Dharma nature, then we are doing what a great hero should do. Speaking of the mind, if we can be without a mind, then we are in accord with the way. What kind of mind should we be without? We should be without the human mind, the mind of living beings. Then only the Buddha mind will be left. As it is said, when the human mind dies, the mind for the way comes forth. If you want to have the mind for the way, you must learn to take losses and not try to gain advantages. You must learn to be stupid, don't be as clever as a ghost. Our mind comes and goes at any time. You don't realize when thoughts does it have? You don't know. But if you can purify the mind and reduce your desires and always restrain the mind so that it won't act crazy like a wild horse or a jumping monkey, then it will stay. But if you let it go, then it will disappear. If you don't guard it, if you let it loose, then it will run off. It can travel everywhere without having to spend any money. So it is said, if you restrain it, it will stay. If you let it go, then it will disappear. It comes and goes at any time. I don't know its appearance. This is how our mind works. We ought to diligently cultivate the precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and put an end to greed, anger, and stupidity. The precepts tell us to do no evil, and to practice all good. The precepts allow the pure thoughts to arise and defiled thoughts to disappear. That is also to extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity. Samadhi means not being scattered. 
It means not letting your mind run off everywhere. Samadhi power means being thus and unmoving, clear and constantly bright. So in cultivation, we have to have samadhi power. Then we will be able to open up our wisdom. Upholding the precepts produces samadhi, and samadhi activates wisdom. So this is to diligently cultivate the precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and to put an end to greed, anger, and stupidity. We must eradicate thoughts of greed, contention, seeking, selfishness, self-benefit, and dishonesty. Don't let them take over. If you can vigorously cultivate the precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, and extinguish greed, anger, and stupidity, and further, you don't contend, you are not greedy, you do not seek outside, you are not selfish, you do not benefit yourself, and you don't lie, then you have taken the first step in Buddhism, and none of us should overlook this step. The ancients had a good saying, If you don't seek the great way to leave the path of confusion, that is, if you don't seek the great way of cultivation, in order to escape the sea of suffering, then, although you are endowed with great talent, you cannot be considered a hero. You have wasted your wisdom and your talent. You have been lax, and you haven't cherished your intelligence, your wisdom, and your talent. So is this how a great hero would act? A hundred years is but a flash. The poet Li Bai said, Heaven and earth, are an inn for the myriad things. Time is a traveler passing through a hundred generations. This fleeting life is but a dream. If you don't cultivate the way, what meaning is there? A hundred years of time passes by like a flash of lightning. Life is like a bubble in the water. All the events and experiences of your life are like bubbles, gone just like that. Cast away wife and wealth, for they are not yours. Your wife and your valuables must be left behind at death. You cannot bring anything with you. Your offenses follow after you. It's hard to cheat yourself. All the good and bad karma that you've created will follow you. You have no way to fool yourself. Both your good karma and your evil karma will go along with you. You cannot take anything with you except your karma. Ask yourself, can gold and silver, piled high as mountains, buy off impermanence? No matter how much gold, silver, and valuables you might have, can you bribe the ghost of impermanence so that he won't come to get you? No, it's impossible. When you die, everything is gone. Nothing goes with you, none of your wealth. Only your karma follows you. But if you can recite the Buddha's name and obtain rebirth in the land of ultimate bliss, then that is a good way to go. All good and wise advisors even in such hot weather, everyone is cultivating so diligently. This is inconceivable. 
The word inconceivable means it cannot be thought about with the mind, and it cannot be described in words. As it is said, the path of language is cut off; the place of the mind's activity is gone. Whatever can be expressed in language has no real meaning. Nevertheless, in order to constantly accord with living beings, we must say something. In Buddhism, we want to study the Buddha's conduct, the Buddha's thinking, and the Buddha's way of handling things and interacting with people. We have to learn all of these things, but there is so much to learn that it is not easy to learn it all. So we can begin by learning the precept of not killing first. Not killing simply means not fighting. As soon as you start to fight, you will kill. Not killing is one of the five precepts. The basis of not killing is not fighting, not fighting with anyone or competing with anyone over anything. There is a saying which goes, "Fighting involves the thought of victory and defeat. It goes against the way. Once you give rise to the four kinds of views, how can you attain samadhi?" As soon as you begin to fight, you have thoughts of victory and defeat. You will think you lost and I won, or I lost and you won. You compare between us to see who is better. The reason you fight is because you want to win. Fighting goes against the way. If you want to cultivate the way, then you must not fight. For example, in bowing to the Buddha. Whether you are a left-hand person or a lay person, male or female, you shouldn't fight with others. If someone is bowing to the Buddha, you shouldn't tell them to move back so that you can stand in front of them. Even if you are wearing your formal robe and sash, you cannot do that. As soon as you fight, you are no longer a disciple of the Buddha. So you must first learn to avoid fighting. Yield the good things to others, and only wish to have the things that other people don't want. Only then will you obtain a response in the way, and not be going against the way. In bowing to the Buddha, those who come earlier to the Buddha Hall should stand in the front, and those who arrive later should stand in the back. Those who arrive late shouldn't say. Well, I'm wearing my robe. The person in front isn't, so I'm going to take his place and make him move. That's called fighting. This is a very simple example. If you have bowed to the Buddha for so long, and yet you still fight with other people over a place to bow, do you think you have earned any merit? You should think this over carefully. Don't think that just because you're wearing your sash. That makes you superior to the people who are wearing only their robes, and don't think that because you are wearing your robe, that makes you higher than those who aren't. Don't think that because you have left the home life, that makes you a level higher than lay people. That's not the way it is. When we bow to the Buddha, re- perform repentances, recite the Buddha's name, or chant sutras. We should yield instead of fighting, but don't be excessively humble. 
If you act with forced humility, that's not right either. So we must follow the middle way. We are all here cultivating together, so we should help each other instead of obstructing each other. If you obstruct others, then they will obstruct you in turn. So you shouldn't fight. That's the first thing. Secondly, you shouldn't be greedy. Greed can cover many things. Don't be greedy for nice clothing. No matter how pretty your clothes are, you're just decorating a toilet with finery. The human body is an impure thing. If you decorate it, perfume it, and make it up in various ways, it's all false. When it dies, it will leave without paying any attention to you. Not being greedy simply means not stealing. Why would anyone steal? Because he's greedy. His greed is insatiable. Buddhists should not be greedy for money, but some people say, "The more, the better." They say, "I'm not greedy, but a lot of money isn't a bad thing." Actually, this is still greed. If you aren't greedy, then you won't violate the precept against stealing. The third precept is no sexual misconduct, and that is simply not seeking. When those of the opposite sex pursue one another, the power of attraction is stronger than a tiger. This is called seeking outside, not being selfish. If you're not selfish, then you won't tell lies. Why would you tell lies? It's because you are being selfish. Why do you want to lie? It is because you want to benefit yourself. And why are you selfish? Because you think. I only want to benefit myself. I don't care about anyone else. Because you are selfish and you only wish to benefit yourself, you will tell lies. Not taking intoxicants means not speaking reckless nonsense and not telling lies. You only tell the truth. Your speech and your actions are straightforward. This is the general meaning of the six great principles. If cultivators and Buddhists don't understand these principles, then they are still outside the door of Buddhism. They haven't entered the door yet. Living beings are limitless. I vow to save them all. Afflictions are endless. I vow to cut them off. Dharma doors are limitless. I vow to learn them. The Buddha way is unsurpassed. I vow to realize it. These are the four vast vows made by Bodhisattvas. Each person who takes refuge in the Triple Jewel should first make these vows. These vows aren't just meant to be recited. You have to actually practice them. For example, living beings are limitless. I vow to take them across. There are an infinite number of living beings, and I vow to save them all. As it's said, only when all living beings have been saved will I realize Bodhi. Before the hells are empty, I will not attain proper enlightenment. 
Earth Store Bodhisattva made these vows because he wanted to rescue all living beings. And each one of us should imitate Earth Store Bodhisattva and make these vows, saying, Only when all living beings have been saved will I realize the Buddha way. If I have not liberated them all, then I will not become a Buddha. If each one of you makes this vow, then each one can become Earth Store Bodhisattva's transformation body. So if we want to cross over living beings, we should ask ourselves every day, have we been crossed over by living beings or are we crossing living beings over? People who are crossed over by living beings are turning their backs on enlightenment and joining with the dust. People who can cross over living beings are turning their backs on the dust and uniting with enlightenment. If there is one living being which hasn't been crossed over to Buddhahood, then our vow has not been fulfilled. So we say, Living beings are boundless, I vow to save them all. I will save living beings in life after life. Each one of us should ask ourselves, After we have taken refuge with a triple jewel, have we made the vow to save living beings? After taking refuge with a triple jewel, am I still someone who just wants to save myself, who only cares about myself and doesn't care about others? If so, then you are turning your back on enlightenment to join with the dust, and you will never be able to take living beings across. If you turn your back on the dust and unite with enlightenment, then there will be a way. So people who have taken refuge with the Triple Jewel should make the vow to save living beings. If there is a single living being who recognizes me, who has seen my face or heard my name, and he hasn't become a Buddha, then I won't become a Buddha either. You must make this kind of great vow to take across boundlessly many living beings with no fear of suffering, no fear of hardship, and no fear of poverty. So the first vow that people who have taken refuge should make is to save living beings. What's the second vow? It is to cut off afflictions. Afflictions are endless. I vow to cut them off. Living beings are boundless. Are afflictions also boundless? No, they're endless. There's no end to them. Without your realizing it, they come upon you. Where do they come from? You don't know. Even if you knew, you pretend you don't know. You clearly know that your afflictions are about to explode, and yet you go ahead and set them off, making them explode. Why haven't we been able to become Buddhas? It's because we are obstructed and covered over with ignorance and afflictions. Obstructed by ignorance, we fail to understand things. We can't distinguish between big and small, between right and wrong, straight and crooked, black and white. We don't know anything at all. This is the ignorance of non-discrimination. If you were to use the wisdom of non-discrimination, that would be wisdom. But if you use it wrongly, then it turns into ignorance into being unclear about everything. 
So ignorance and afflictions come. And what should we do when they come? We have to vow to cut them off. They are not easy to cut off, so instead we can transform them. We can turn afflictions into bodhi, turn consciousness into wisdom. If we can turn them around, then they will become wisdom. If we can't turn afflictions around, then we only have stupidity. It's very simple. There's no need to explain this in detail. Afflictions are endless. I vow to cut them off. Dharma doors are limitless. I vow to learn them. The Buddha spoke eighty-four thousand Dharma doors, and each one of them is number one. If we can deeply enter one door and cultivate it with concentration, then we can become Buddhas. So it is said, there are no two roads for returning to the source. There are many different expedients. Why are the eighty-four thousand Dharma doors all said to be number one? Because the eighty-four thousand Dharma doors are matched to the eighty-four thousand potentials of living beings. Any Dharma door that matches a person's potential is number one for that person. If a Dharma door doesn't match his potentials, that doesn't mean that it's number two. The Dharma is level and equal, with no high or low. No Dharma door is higher or lower than any other. All the Dharma doors are equal, so we shouldn't think, "Oh, this sect is the best. That school is totally useless." In Buddhism, every door of practice is the foremost Dharma door, the non-dual Dharma door. If we understand the Buddha Dharma, then coarse words and fine speech all express the primary meaning. If you understand the Buddha Dharma. Then all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma. If you don't understand the Buddha Dharma, then everything is demonic Dharma. It's the demon king acting up. So Dharma doors are limitless. I vow to learn them all. You should learn them thoroughly. You should master them. The Buddha way is unsurpassed. I vow to realize it. Living beings are boundless. Afflictions are endless, Dharma doors are limitless, and the Buddha way is unsurpassed. There is nothing higher than the Buddha Dharma. So we vow to realize it. We want to become Buddhas, and we also want to teach all living beings to become Buddhas. We shouldn't be Mahasattvas who don't care about others, or Amitabha Buddha who only watches over himself. Don't be someone who only wants to save himself. Since you have taken refuge with the Triple Jewel, you must practice the Bodhisattva Way. Save living beings, cut off afflictions, study the Buddha Dharma, and realize the Buddha Way. These are four vows which you should not forget. These are more important than eating, wearing clothes, and sleeping. All of you have taken refuge with the Triple Jewel for so many years. If you haven't studied the Four Vast Vows so that you can recite them from memory and explain them, then we could say that you've taken refuge in vain. All of you should master everything that you have learned. 
from the day you took refuge in the Triple Jewel. Not to mention anything else, I know that not one of you can recite the repentance verse or memorize it. You recited it when you took refuge, and then you forgot about it, right? You should actually read it all the time and be able to recite it from memory. If you don't believe this, then just listen as I recite it for you. I'm not cheating. I don't have any book in my hand. I'm reciting it from memory. The verse goes, "Since time without beginning, up to the present day, I have destroyed the triple jewel and been an enchantika. I have slandered the great vehicle sutras and cut off the study of prajna. I have killed my parents and shed the Buddha's blood. I've defiled the sangharama." And spoiled the pure conduct of others. I've burned temples and stupas, and stolen the sangha's property to use. I have harbored deviant views and denied cause and effect. I've drawn near to unwholesome companions, and turned my back on good teachers. I've done all of these myself and taught others to do them as well. I've rejoiced compliantly upon seeing or hearing them done. All such offenses are boundless and limitless. Therefore, on this day, I bring forth great shame and remorse. I sincerely confess and seek to repent. I only hope that the triple jewel will compassionately gather me in, shine its golden light upon me. All evils will be eradicated. And the three obstructions will be cast out, as I return to the fundamental source of the mind, which is ultimately pure. Which one of you can recite this from memory? Some of you have taken refuge for ten or twenty years already. Have you memorized this? You say, but teacher, you didn't tell us to memorize it. Did I need to tell you to do this? You should have gone ahead and memorized it yourself. Don't wait for your teacher to tell you. As it is said, the teacher takes you to the door, but you yourself must cultivate. If you don't do a good job of studying the Buddha Dharma, how can you rely on your teacher? Isn't that right? <laughs> 